What's up, party people? Welcome to another surprise episode of the podcast. Now, listen, don't get too used to this, okay? I can't guarantee every week I'm going to have two episodes out for you, but I wanted to share this recording I did with my friend, Billy Horde. She's a trans woman, and we went live on YouTube about two weeks ago to respond to a Frank Turek interview hosted by Melissa Dowdery. I hope I'm saying her last name correctly, talking about how terrible the trans ideology is and grooming, blah, 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 blah. So we went through it, the whole thing piece by piece. And I wanted to share this with you because, A, I think it's a really important conversation. I think it's really important for you to hear um, why so many of these arguments fall apart once you go an inch deep. And also, I wanted to do kind of a soft promote that we are really um, doing more and more content on our YouTube channel. This was, was a YouTube video. You can go there now. The video is out. You can see all the graphs that we pull, all the data that we pull. We have it all on screen for you. So, if you're someone who likes more visual things like myself, um, that would be a great place to see this. But I wanted to post the whole interview for you here so you could at least hear it. Now, I will warn you, this is a long one, okay? This is the second long podcast in a row, two and a half hours. But apparently, you folks are a glutton for punishment because... Listen-wise, these have been some of the highest-rated episodes that we've ever done. So I figured, why not? Let me throw this one in here. So this is the full response from beginning to end. Again, we were live on YouTube, so I, we, we did not have a podcast audience in mind. So if it sounds a little, I don't know, rowdy, a little just off the cuff, that is why. I hope you really enjoy this episode. And of course, friends, do not forget... Theology Beer Camp, it's coming up. It's coming up in October. It's gonna be a great time. I played last week a full recording that me and Trip did in person with some folks in Missouri as kind of a taster. I hope it was helpful for you. If you are someone who is newer to this deconstruction thing or trying to renegotiate your faith and you're thinking, Tim, who do I listen to? What do I do? How do I think about better paths? How do I imagine more beautiful way, beautiful ways forward in the way in the way of Jesus? This is the event for you. I've been working with Trip to make sure that we have tons of theologians and scholars who are doing this work to communicate it to people like us who are just very thirsty, right? We're very thirsty for better paths forward. You can use promo code TNE Godpod for 25 bucks off your ticket. We're going to have a live performance by Trey Pearson, by Flamey Grant, by Derek Webb. That's all happening. If you're a beer drinker, it includes all the beer that you can drink, and you get to hang out with great people and tons of other amazing podcasts. So me and Noah are going to be there. Dan Koch will be there. Kevin Garcia will be there. It's it's just going to be a great time. So grab a ticket, make the arrangements October 19th through 21st, and I will see you there. Remember, use promo code TNEGODPOD to get 25 bucks off your ticket. Lastly, I would love your feedback on this episode. Do you enjoy this longer form content? That's important for me to know. We try and keep our episodes underneath an hour or so, and this is two and a half hours. Now, there's a lot to get to. We're, we're responding to people talking, so that's why it's longer, but if you like longer form content, man, I will make it happen. I'm a man of the people. I am here for you. I am here to serve you, friends. Okay, that's slightly, mostly true, but you get my point. I would love your feedback on this episode, so send me an email or a DM on Instagram, whatever, and we'll talk again soon. What's up, everyone? We're live. That's exciting. Good to be with all of you. I want to preface, this is the most involved live I've ever tried with prep and bringing on a guest, so if this goes kablooey, 
we were predestined to have it happen, okay? I still am a Calvinist deep down, so it's just not my fault. It's it's, it's God's ultimate decree, uh, so just keep that in mind. But I'm very excited to, to do this live with all of you hanging out. Of course, feel free to give us a little like button, not a thumbs down button. Someone, someone already did that. I'm like, come on, I haven't even started the live stream yet. But what we're gonna do is I'm gonna bring out my friend, Billy, and we're gonna go through a podcast interview uh, with Frank Turek and Melissa Dowdery. So I'm gonna bring Billy on. Hopefully this works, first time. Boom! Hi, Billy. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? All right. Um, I'm Billy Horde. I am a teacher. I'm a trans woman. I write uh, probably more than is good for me on topics like C.S. Lewis and deconstruction and transness generally. I um, also do a little bit of scholarly writing with my brother. Awesome. Um we, you, me, and your brother have talked on our podcast a couple months ago. It was actually a fascinating discussion on the theology of disgust, which for some people might sound shocking, but there's actually a whole thing to it. And it was really, um, it was really cool to, to do that. And so I'm glad to have you on because I saw this interview with Frank and Melissa and I thought, you know, um, we should respond to it. And I thought, let me talk to Billy because... You, you bring a lot more of the academic, the research side. I'm more of the maybe cultural commentary side. I think between both of us, we can maybe give this the old college try and gonna go through it piece by piece. Um, right. I did I did wanna start with maybe who we're actually talking about, right? So yeah. so Frank Turek, let me see if I can get a picture of him. Um, do you wanna introduce Melissa while I'm pulling up this picture of Frank? Yeah, I, Melissa, it sort of seems like has to exist in the context of uh, Frank almost in terms of this, this video anyway, but she she runs her own YouTube channel. Um, and yeah, here's a, here's a good picture of her. She actually works for, this is from Frank's uh, website. She work, She's a contributor, I think, uh, yeah. on his website. So they're, I think they're doing like a promotional thing for this third edition of his book right now. Okay. Um, but yeah, so she's a Christian blogger, apologetics world. Yeah, and Frank Turek is the founder of Cross Examined. He is a pretty decently well-known apologist uh, in the evangelical apologetics world. I will say a couple caveats up front. Of course, we're not here to dehumanize anyone uh, during this broadcast, but we are going to respond to some of their their discussion that I would argue is pretty ignorant and maybe just not well thought out. I also want to mention that I have met Frank Turek twice in person at America Fest, which is Turning Points event, and also the Pastor Summit more recently. So Frank has been someone that's been getting more and more embedded in this like far right media pundit world, kind of giving them some of that foundation of like, look, we're rooting this in academics somehow. And Melissa, she actually has a pretty large YouTube account and she deals in the like Elisa Childers world of apologetics and what is the gospel, does a lot of stuff against new age-ism. Um, and I've talked to her in the DMs and we've had very polite, cordial, good faith conversations. She has approached me asking me questions. Um, so I, I wanna just preface that, that I've talked to both of these people. And so if either of them are watching, the goal of this is not to make them look dumb or stupid. It simply is to respond to some of their claims and say, is that the full story? Is that really what's going on here? And then thinking a little bit deeper beyond maybe just whatever they are presenting. So I think that's fair. What do you think, Billy? I'm looking forward to it. And I, and All right. I, I think that's a, that's a reasonable thing to do, right? 
I hope so. All right, let's get into it. I'm gonna start the video, we'll go through it, and we'll kind of go through it piece by piece. Friends, I can see your comments in real time, so I would love your thoughts as we go along. Feel free to um, put whatever you think, uh, respectfully please, no dehumanization, even if you disagree, or else I will ban you, I have that power. And we'll hop into it. So, let's start the video, hopefully this works. Next scene. And Frank Turek on oh, here we on go. channel to talk about a topic that we're both very passionate about. Frank just uh, expanded a third edition of his book correct not politically correct and uh, I had the honor of reading this book and I'm really glad to have him on to talk about some of the topics that are here uh, Frank thank you so much for coming on today and speaking with me hey Melissa great being on with you and uh, this is such a hard topic for people that uh, I thought I would write on it and as you know from the book I'm not mm -hmm. quoting Bible verses this is not a book that's written to say that because the Bible says, were you taking a natural law, uh, common sense medical case against transgenderism and same-sex marriage, how they're not good for individuals and not good for society as a whole? Mm -hmm. Yes, and you do this in your talks as well. When you mm -hmm. do your, I don't have enough faith to be atheist uh, conferences, the, what I respect and what I really enjoy is that you start with what is truth? Does God exist? Are miracles real, right? Before mm -hmm. you even get into anything with religion or the Bible or anything. And I think that is very effective. I think that's really cool. Um, now, okay, this book. Really quick, I wanna interrupt right here. It is important that we understand that, that they're setting up this conversation to try and almost skirt what they would call their own worldview, like the Christian worldview, to say, we can even get to these perspectives beyond using the Bible or using a kind of Christian framework to get here. I think it's important to bring up because I've watched this video now three times. I'm not sure if they're exactly successful at doing that, but at least that's their argument starting. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's, it's worth saying that that's been pretty critically important to the anti-trans movement nationally in terms of a lot of the state anti-trans state laws that have been passed recently. Mm. Um, there's been a lot of work by originally Christian organizations to launder might be too cynical a word, but to find ways to present their anti-trans position in a way that takes out the religious language in order to make it acceptable to state houses, right? Because we do still yeah. have a general expectation of a you know, separation of church and state. Well, this is kind of similar to the recent Supreme Court ruling, 303 Creative. Even though they used the, the language of freedom of speech, it was, put, it was put up by the America Defending Freedom, I think that's what they're called. And that's a yeah. Christian nationalist, arguably, organization that, that whose founder, or at least someone who ran the organization for 15 years, has a book out describing the problem of the homosexual agenda taking over the country, right? So I agree, they've, they've been using different language, but the, the root ultimately is still, the Bible is clear, you have to assimilate, frankly. Yeah, I have to, I just have to say, like I was struck, and I think it comes up a little bit in the video, uh, Frank's use of natural law language um, is just a, it's a weird thing. Natural law, I think I said to somebody, natural law theory is a thing and he plays around with it. It's a sort of Catholic philosophy coming from the scholastic period. It's a so what he's trying to do there is, on the one hand, maybe there's some roots into it. Like Christians, we have that whole history of like, you know, general grace. Um, but he's definitely he's doing something very uh, intentional here with this. Okay, got it. I remember you talking about this a while ago, and I didn't realize it was this book. But you mentioned that you got fired back in the day for writing this book. I'm wondering uh, if you could start off by telling us a little bit about that. What happened? Yeah, well, in 2008, I wrote a book called Correct, Not Politically Correct, How Same-Sex Marriage Hurts Everyone. And uh, I didn't write it again from a biblical perspective. 
in the sense that I wasn't quoting Bible verses I just mentioned. I was just making the natural law medical case that same-sex yeah. marriage was not good for individuals or a nation. And at that time, uh, uh, I, even though cross-examined had already started, I was only working part-time at cross-examined. I was putting my family, when I went to seminary and we moved to Charlotte way back in 1993, I had to make money. So I started doing corporate training for companies. And for many years, I did corporate training for Cisco and also Bank of America. Cisco, not the food people, but the computer people, CISCO, that they're out head, headquartered out in San, in San Jose. Long, long story short, um, back in 2011, I was teaching a leadership class at Cisco and I was fired because uh, someone in the class Googled my name and figured out I had written the book. Now, this is the third edition, but the first edition was similar. And uh, they said, well, Frank can't work here because uh, he doesn't agree with same-sex marriage. Now, keep in mind, this was not something I ever brought up at, at, in my leadership training. Mm -hmm. uh, yet this man who identified as uh, homosexual just figured out that I had written this book and decided that I couldn't work at Cisco. Now, keep in mind, Melissa, this is four years prior to the Supreme Court yeah. imposing same-sex marriage on the nation. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I wanna pause here for a second. A couple of things I think are important. Number one, um, this is not just about Frank holding a view personally where he disagrees with, with same-sex marriages. That's what he calls it. This is about, he wrote a book advocating for the government to continue to restrict the freedom of people who are in committed relationships to be recognized under the law. That's a little bit different, I think, than how Frank is just like, well, I just had this personal belief and I was attacked for it. No, you were a public figure who wrote a book arguing why the nation should not do this. And then he mentions that this is before the government imposed Right, me, almost making it seem like the government has somehow said, hey, if you're straight, you can't be. You gotta right. get married to someone of the same gender or something like that, right? And so I just have a problem even how he's framing this to begin with. Yeah, the, that, that reversal that allowing um, pe gay people to get married is somehow an imposition of gay sex on the country is a really, really yeah. strange uh, framing of it, uh, <laughs> to say the least. I, yeah. Um, I do want to say also, just relating to his, his story about getting fired, which I mean, there's, I mean, I, I don't want to like, it's painful if you're a contractor and you lose your, con you lose contracts. That's, yes. that's not easy. Right. Yeah, and I don't want to downplay that. I also want to kind of highlight that his situation is not the situation of somebody who has an employer who literally terminates their employment because of a position they're hold they're holding. Right. And these two companies just chose not to work with him again. And right. This, right. That's a, right. that's a little bit different. And given kind of he's going to get into some the children, the government is coming for you language. And I think it's going to be really important for us to, to make make some fine distinctions here with saying what is what's actually happening and how is it being presented? Is, is, I think Do you think it's a little interesting that folks like Frank who are in this world are very much like, well, the 303 creative case is a win for religious freedom where this this person can say, I'm not going to do this work based on my conscience, right? Uh, thus being able to discriminate against queer people. But now Frank is upset that a business essentially did what he hoped that should be legal in that other case. I just think it's an interesting yep. thing to record. And again, I agree, like losing any kind of contract work, especially when you have a family, is very frustrating. I'm not saying it's easy. I don't want to make it seem like, oh, no big deal. But again, it's not just I had this personal belief. I attended church and they said not good enough. You were a public figure writing a book about this. And that's important right. to note. Yeah, it's, it's oh, it is. Uh, at, at oh, that sorry, I cut you off. No, I 
I was just agreeing. Okay. <laughs> CEO of Cisco is a man by the name of John Chambers. And John Chambers in 2008, uh, during the presidential election, was on the elect McCain Commission in California. He wanted McCain to be the president. And hmm. at, in that election, it was Senator McCain against Senator Obama for the, for the presidency. And so, uh, as you know, Senator McCain served in the Navy, and so did I. So I, I wrote John Chambers, the CEO of Cisco. I said, uh, thank you for support of Senator McCain in the last election. Uh, I am, a, too, a United States Navy veteran. Uh, I was uh, fired from your company because I didn't agree with same-sex marriage. Uh, are you aware that Senator McCain holds the same position on same-sex marriage that I do? Are you qualified to be working at Cisco? So the next day I got a phone call because I FedExed it to his office and the attorney said, well, what do you want? And I said, well, I don't really want anything except you call the dogs off other Christians. And I was a vendor. I, I wasn't an employee, so they could fire me for any reason. But I just said, look, I, I can't understand. You claim to be inclusive, tolerant and diverse. How was it that I was excluded and not toler tolerated for holding a diverse view? And the attorney said, well, I could set you up to talk to a lady by the name of Marilyn Nagel. She said she's the head of our inclusion, tolerance, tolerance and diversity division, whatever that meant. Right. I said, OK, let's set up the meeting. So a couple of weeks later, I'm actually at Summit in Colorado and my friend Mike Adams was there and we had this call scheduled Marilyn Nagel. So I asked her, I said, hey, you know, I told her what happened and I said, uh, you claim to be inclusive, tolerant and diverse. How how is it that I, I wasn't? tolerated i was excluded for holding a diverse view and she couldn't answer the question and I, I i said what does tolerance mean what does inclusion mean what does diversity mean she couldn't answer any of the questions hmm. and the, the conversation went so poorly that when it was over i turned to mike i said we got to go public with this we've got to tell people the world that although these people are do you want to take a, a first swing at, at this idea i mean what, what frank i hear him saying is hey I was not tolerated by the people claiming to be tolerant of my position that that the country sh or the government should not legally allow queer marriage. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, it's a really popular sort of argument. And it was interesting that he mentioned that he was at Summit Ministries. I've had a little bit of experience with them. They're one of the big, like, train your kids in apologetics before they go to college groups. Mm. Um, and it's very of a piece with, um, I don't know if you remember back when everybody was really worried about postmodernism. And one of the things they would have is they would like train youth groups to go through and say, uh, well, do you, do you, uh, you know, do you believe in absolute truth? And if you said no, then you're supposed to do absolutely believe, not believe in it. And, right. and it, was, it was really more of a gotcha than like a real philosophical inquiry into this, into sort of epistemological questions. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of the same thing going on here with the question of tolerance. The, what's called the paradox of tolerance is a really well, like, recognized phenomena, right? That in the marketplace of ideas, you can tolerate yes. all ideas, except for the one that says stop tolerating ideas because it's self-defeating, right? Like, because that was consume itself, right? So the, the position, you know, queer people shouldn't be represented. You know, basically, if you're saying I am being intolerant, that is one of the things that a tolerant society has to say, well, we have some problems with that. At the minimum, that needs to be regulated. So I think he's taking a complex and recognizably nuanced issue Sure. And he's reducing it down to these sort of, frankly, the talking points that we used to teach evangelical youth group kids yeah. um, in terms of how to do a gotcha with a philosopher, with a professor in a class um, 
your freshman year. No, I, I tend to agree. <clears throat> I, I, you know, it's almost like when I, I, again, I grew up around apologetics my whole life when they would say, well, truth by definition is exclusive, right? Or love by definition has boundaries, so to speak. You can say yeah. tolerance also has boundaries. And so we, we say this for our community all the time that in, in our Facebook community that's private, we accept people who have different opinions, but we do make it clear that we do prioritize certain perspectives over others, but if that person can tolerate that different perspective and make room for it, they're welcome there, right? What Frank is doing is saying, my tolerance says you cannot be who you are. You don't have the same rights I do. And then when we say, well, you can't believe that, they go, oh, you're not tolerant of, of my intolerance. It's like, yeah, th that would be correct. That would be that would be right. Uh, just like how we wouldn't tolerate um, someone who was a staunch segregationist anymore, right? right? We wouldn't say, if that person used the same rhetoric, well, you're intolerant of my segregation. We go, yes, we are intolerant of your segregation. And that that argument would not fly in almost any other circumstance that we look back in history and say, what were they thinking? But now because yeah. we're here, it's an easy, almost kind of gotcha question. Yeah, I think so. Claiming to be inclusive, tolerant, and diverse, they're, they're, not, they're not it at all. Inclusion, tolerance, and diversity to corporate elites means if you don't see it our way, we're going to hurt you. Okay, so sorry, I gotta stop here. Uh, corporate elites is such a for me dog whistle. It just yeah. it just screams like it just screams that far right language. And of course, we all know that corporate elites is only code for people who they don't like that they think are censoring them. That's why Elon yeah. Musk is like the darling corporate elite of right wing everything right now because of what he's done to Twitter. So I just had to point that out. Like, come on, I mean, I the language that Frank is using more and more seems way more about right-wing talking points than about actual, maybe faithful apologetic work. Yeah, there's gonna be a point in a few minutes where I think, um, I think Melissa's gonna say like, hey, we, you know, we, we're, if you're here and you're gay and you're watching this, we love you. And it's, it's an interesting comment and I'm sure we'll have thoughts about it when we get there, but it's worth noting, I think here that like, the way they're talking about us, they're talking about us and us being queer people right now to one another. They're not talking to queer people in this video. Right. right. Yes. Good point. Column called the Cisco kid. And then I wrote a column that it was on townhall.com and a, a, maybe a few other places called sex at work. By the way, do not Google sex at work. Don't Google that. If you Google that, it'll take you right to Harvey Weinstein's <laughs> website. Okay, no. Go to crossexamine.org and go to our little search bar there and type in sex at work. You'll see the article. And basically what I do in there, Melissa, is I ask the question, why is corporate America talking about sex at work? Are we supposed to have sex at work? I mean, what's the point here? As long as we treat everyone with respect, regardless of whether or not we agree on sexual issues, we ought to be able to work together. And so I, I, I said, I pledge to people who might not agree with me on certain religious and moral issues, I pledge that I'm gonna treat them with respect because they're made in the image of God. We don't have to agree on everything to work together. When you really think about this, why is corporate America so obsessed I, with this? It really does. Yes, yes, Billy, you have thoughts. I was just going to say, like, I, Frank is, okay, this goes back to they're talking about us, they're not talking to us. Yeah. Um, that kind of language, I can treat everyone with respect, even without disagreeing with them. I, in principle, I'm sure that's true, right? I'm not, I'm not sure, absolutely, right? At sure. the same time, if you tell me that, if you if you communicate to me that my marriage is invalid, that certainly is not something I will experience as respectful. I don't know of, of a respectful way to tell me that right. my marriage isn't real, right? Right. Um, and, and this is, and, and he has said very, you know, I mean, he said some pretty inflammatory stuff in that book. So again, he's still referencing this book he, he got in trouble for and that he's sort of selling here. 
And the stuff he said in there, by almost nobody's definition, would qualify as respectful. And remember, he's coming in as a contractor. He didn't publish right. this book. He wasn't spreading the papers at work. He wasn't being an employee. He was just like, but these are the views he's bringing as a contractor teaching about leadership. Right. Yeah. And also think about now the people that he partners with. You know, again, I was at the pastor summit. We did a whole video on this. It's on our YouTube a few videos back. And the language that they used was not respectful. It was mocking. We're going to play a montage in a little bit, kind of demonstrating this this really weird dichotomy and almost contradiction between no, no, no we we love queer people. You know, we, we 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 love them. And then seeing what the people what the people who they support actually say publicly. It is it's shocking once you compare the two. And so I tend to agree with you it's like if you're advocating for someone someone's existence not to be valid you can say that you love them all you want but your actions say actually you're less than right and 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 i bring up um the the segregation of the 60s and 50s because it's an easy like stark contrast of like right we that, that these were the same arguments back then no no we love we love black people they just have to stay in their own space they can't be at our colleges but we love them it's like wait that, that would never fly with that line of thinking why is that flying now when it comes to the queer community right anything to do with workplace productivity do we all have to agree that certain sexual practices are good or bad in order to make widgets or to uh, conduct some sort of service for people no we don't mm -hmm. in any event um after that happened i couldn't work in corporate america anymore because I was out. <laughs> I was out as a Christian. I was out as somebody who didn't believe in same-sex marriage. So yeah. Bank of America fired me right after that. And uh, Not just out, and fighting then against. In, then I cute. went full-time with cross-examine. This is uh, what I was 49 years old. And uh, that was in 2011. So since then, I've been doing cross-examine full-time. And then in 2016, after the Supreme Court imposed same-sex marriage on the entire nation, actually they did it in 2015 and 2016, I updated the book. Mm -hmm. And then in just this year, I updated it again because of transgenderism. So now this is the new third edition. Mm -hmm. And we're dealing with all these issues without quoting Bible verses, as, as I mentioned. And I left the first and second sections just as they are because... I think the arguments are still good. And much of what I said there, unfortunately, has come true. Yeah. With regard to what I said would happen if same-sex marriage is imposed on the nation. Oh, boy. Yes. And this is what I found particularly interesting is like a... Okay, so my best friend, she brought this up a long time ago, and I never thought about it this way. But there was an issue at that time where people are Christians, not even Christians, just conservatives were concerned from a societal level. And they're like, this is a slippery slope, guys. This is something that's going to uh, evolve into something that th is not good for our nation. And everybody's like, yeah, you're being paranoid. You're being fanatical. Mm -hmm. And the thing with a slippery slope is sometimes you don't know if that's the case until time has gone by to see if that's the case, if that's what happened. And it seems to be Wow, that was a really big turning point, same-sex marriage, into the evolution of where we got to where we are today with a lot of the transgender craze, uh, gender spectrums, everything. Okay, that's, okay, that's I, I hear it. I, I know we got to stop. We got to pause. I hate to cut her off mid-thought. Can I just say one thing that I'll hand over to you, Billy? Is that okay? 
so what's interesting to me about this slippery slope, which by the way, I mean, yes, a slippery slope can definitely exist in, in life. Uh, one example might be looking at how Republicans treated Bill Clinton and then how they made exceptions for Donald Trump that led to an insurrection. And now all of a sudden we have people like Frank Turek hanging out with Charlie Kirk, who's platforming Alex Jones. Uh, that's quite the slippery slope. I just think it is so fascinating that, and I, I mean this with the utmost, utmost respect for Melissa because I've talked to her and she, I genuinely think is a good faith actor. She wants to understand, she wants to learn, she wants to understand different perspectives. So I appreciate that. And in my conversation with her, I did say, I understand that you're concerned about progressive Christianity, but are you not concerned about how far right your own circle has gotten? The level of rhetoric, you know, still many of them believing that the election was stolen, even though it wasn't. At the time of this recording, Donald Trump is polling 54% to become the party's nominee after being indicted. Again, these are all historical first. I think you can you can so easily point out the slippery slope that they have been on that has been harming people for a long time and instead we get well because of same-sex marriage now we have this quote transgender craze which we both know is is not accurate but i just had to throw that out there like it, it just it blows my mind that they can't see how 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 far they've come in you know a decade or two yeah can i can i give a short history of kind of what's going on there because i think hell yeah i'm gonna try to assume that, that there is a good faith um impression that's being presented in that video um, yeah. And I want to speak from that perspective. Yeah. So I'm going to say I can understand why somebody who hasn't been paying a lot of attention but is aware of what's going on culturally yeah. might think, well, you know, they didn't say anything about the transgenders. And we even said this will lead to like gender anarchy back when we were arguing about same sex marriage. But then it happened. And the next thing you know, boom, transgender people. And that's what we're <laughs> having to fight about now. Right. At a sort of surface level, I can see where that might be compelling to somebody who's sort of, you know, they're straight, they're cis, they're living their life. And that's kind of what they, the way they feel like the, 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 con, the national conversation has evolved. The fact of the matter is that trans people and, you know, cis, gay, uh, uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual, pan people have been working together in these loose coalitions ever since even before the Stonewall riots, you know, sort of the beginning of the, the LGBT rights movement. And that over the time that has, there have been a lot of negotiations around which issues are going to be prioritized, uh, whether or not marriage is even a thing we were going to fight for. Um, like this, this was a huge debate. And there were times when I will say, frankly, the trans community was really hurt when the broader gay community would choose to just downplay our, our concerns and our issues in the interest of, of, of achieving certain milestones. They thought, well, if we, we can get this, if we drop the trans issues from our platform for a little while, and they would do that on and off. Uh, and then they would bring us back and they would apologize. And it's, it's been a bit of a thing. So it is absolutely true that the entire LGBT community as a whole, as a general, you know, taken as a whole was focused heavily on marriage in that time period, you know, sort of 2008 to 2016 or so. And it's also true that what mm. they were telling the trans people that whole time was, you're next. You know, mm. We don't think we can get your issues taken care of, focused on at this time, but we will get there eventually. So this is what was happening I don't want to say behind the scenes. This is happening very openly in queer spaces, but it's not the kind of thing that Christians will have seen. And so it's not that hard after the fact to go back and say, well, they never talked about this, but the slippery slope. And then this is the next step. No, this has been part of like, we have been talking about all our rights for all of us. And there have been tactical decisions made along the way mm. as to what would work. They're not tactical decisions that I love. Right. And again, speaking as a trans woman, I really do wish that our, our issues had been foregrounded earlier. Right. Um, I have, I have concerns with the human rights coalition. I, I can't mm. be. They're great, but some concerns. Um, yeah. 
And so I think what, what's happening is we're t- seeing a very, just a historically complicated um, activist history right. reduced to fit a certain narrative. And, and that isn't to say I don't think that narrative is compelling. Like, again, at a sort of face, you know, surface level, I want to say I can see how that might be compelling to someone. And, and I want to clarify, that's the history and that's a lot of why it wasn't, why this is not in fact what was going on. Yeah, that makes sense. But to be clear, <clears throat> trans people have always existed, right? Like, like the way that folks like Melissa yeah. and I think in the world that she's a part of behave or what, what they say is almost like it's like popcorn. Like one day the colonels were there, then all of a sudden here they are. Oh my God, where do they come from? It's like, well, they've always been there. You might not have noticed them because right-wing media was too focused on stopping the gays and not the trans mm-hmm. people. And now that that's been, you know, one as of now hopefully it stays that way now the next target is you know the next group of people right so that's an important i think piece of that conversation as well to recognize yeah Yeah, i mean i mean i absolutely recommend everybody look up people like albert cashier look up there's some really cool trans people from like way back in history and of course you know marsha p johnson sylvia rivera were at the center of stonewall like yeah we've always been around yeah um and interesting to pinpoint it to that now you talk about same-sex marriage and Again, not from a biblical perspective, which some people might kind of like, what, Frank, what, Melissa, how could you do that? But I'm here to say that's actually really brilliant, because if you're somebody that doesn't believe in God or the Bible, there are still statistics and facts, really good reasons why uh, this view is, you know, held. And I'm wondering if you could do that. So uh, if you can give some helpful statistics. And, and facts for why anybody would have an issue with same-sex marriage at all. Because most people would look at you and I and think, wow, you're just being hateful. You're being mean. You're being harmful to this group of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, when yes. really, yes. Uh, you're looking at this <laughs> I would from argue a that. very different and very interesting societal perspective, which actually a lot of psychologists and sociologists quietly agree with. Yeah, I, maybe before we get there, let's just point this out. Um, the culture thinks that love requires approval, mm-hmm. when in reality, if you think about it, love does not require approval. Uh, I ask parents or kids, actually, I ask kids, if your parents approve of everything you wanted to do or approved of everything you wanted to do when you were 13, would they have been loving parents? Of course, people go, no, no, my parents, if they approved of everything I did, they wouldn't be loving, they'd be unloving. They'd be enabling me to destroy myself and others. Mm-hmm. And because love does not require approval, love requires that you stand in the way of evil that people want to do. You know, in the past. Yeah. Yes, Bill, you raised your hand. <laughs> so this is, I mean, this is one of those. I've been thinking about this a lot. Right? I mean, if you yeah. can't be queer and Christian and not have run into, you know, hey, I can love you without loving your sin. Right. Right. And this there is some one of the frustrating things that I, I find is that once that's said, that almost kills conversations anymore, because from my perspective, like I am fully convinced that biblically before God, my queerness is not sinful, right? So when you tell me that, what you're saying is I can love you while calling an essential part of who you are sinful. And I'm not even sure that's true. I'm not, I'm not sure that you can love me if you don't love who I am, right? Right. This is who I am. Um, This is one of the reasons that, that, that we we did the, the, the born this way thing was such a big part of the, the queer platform back in the day, right? This is because this is just who, we are. And to say, I love you, but I don't love part of who you are, right. does not make a lot of sense. On the other hand, saying, I love you, but I don't love something sinful about you. I mean, I can say as a Christian, that does actually make sense, right? If I have somebody who's, who does do sinful things, I don't love that they do sinful things. 
Right. Um, right. I, I don't love selfishness. Right. Right. So what I think what happens is when you do this, you end up, it's a message that only ends up dividing because everybody who already agrees with you about saying, you know, about, about queerness will agree with you. If you say I can love people without loving what they, you know, loving their, their homosexuality or whatever. Right. 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 But everybody who doesn't agree with you about the sinfulness of it, it just sounds like it may, it's nonsense. It, it sounds like you're saying a, a, a just con completely contradictory thing. So all you're really doing when you say make these statements anymore is, is, the, is you're sort of speaking to a base and alienating everybody else. It's not a really, again, they're not talking with us. They're talking about us. Right. And also, I mean, I, I don't I don't know why people in the in this space cannot understand how people could be born to like who they like because they're born to like who they like. I can't control why I found my partner attractive about. Like I, I so I don't know why. I don't know why as a teenager I tend to be more attracted to the woman with blonde hair over brown. And now I'm married to someone with brown hair over blonde and I love it. We have a great marriage, right? I can't tell you like I didn't wake up and choose that one day. Like it just it just made sense so I went with it, you know? So I don't know why for for people who are you know are heterosexual this is such a stretch to imagine like oh like this is just who billy is this is who so and so is i mean it makes complete sense because i've experienced that only i tend to be attracted to you know people of the opposite sex if i can make a suggestion i honestly and i hope this isn't too cynical i really do think a lot of it's about power i think it's subconscious i'm not saying that mm. people are like trying to hold on to power yeah but if you recognize that being straight is just a thing people are and that being queer is another thing people are, then what that does is it takes away the power of straight and it takes away the privileged position of being the default of not having to look at what you are and imagine who you are right. and, and, and imagine yourself as contextualized as just one option of many ways of being human. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really scary to look at. I think, uh, I think that's a really hard thing for people who want to recognize. Yeah. Good point. Uh, Melissa, that everyone reads at their wedding, but nobody obeys. First Corinthians 13. Yeah. Paul yeah. says, love always protects. Yeah. He says, love mm -hmm. does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but love rejoices in the truth. Love the truth. always yeah. perseveres, right? Mm -hmm. So in order to love people, you need to protect them, which means you have to stand in the way of the evil that they want to do. And so I think we need to, to say that from the outset, the motivation we ought to have is to love people, but love doesn't mean you approve of everything they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I gotta say, I just really hate this language of evil in this context, right? Like just someone being queer is, is evil or them being in a committed relationship or whatever it might be, you know, of consenting adults is somehow inherently evil. Um, it just it, it just feels a little yucky to me, I'm not gonna lie. I, I just, I'm like, yeah, why are we sure. calling this evil? You know, I don't get it. And I, I think there's a there's an equivocation that happens, and Celeste called this out really nicely in the comments earlier, mm. where they go back and forth between talking about things like who you are, and then to, or your relationships, or just your romantic relationships, who your who your partner is, to then talking about sex, and they they want it to be about sex when it's useful to be about sex, and then it's not about sex when it's not useful to be about sex, right? Like so, straight people get married, and it's a relationship, it's beautiful, it's love, it's, right. it's romance. Right. Queer people get married and it's entirely about the kind of sex they have. Right. Right. And, right. Which I think has explained some of the like, you know, there's some frustration earlier on about. So the way Frank was saying, why is this all about sex? Well, we only talked about relationships that you know, queer people advocating for our marriages at work only talked about our relationships. Nobody walked into, right. into and nobody walked into into the office and announced the kind of sex they like to have. That would get yeah. you a trip to HR. Um, but yes. but they read our comments about right. our relationships as being about sex while their comments about their relationships are just default neutral. They're about, 
you know, beautiful relationships. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure they are, but we should get that same honor. Yeah. I'm reminded of this. Uh, when I first wrote this book back in 2008, I got an email from an FBI agent. The guy was undercover with NAMBLA. Oh. You know what NAMBLA is? The no. American Man Boy Love Association. These are the pedophiles. Oh, wow. boy. Okay. okay. Well, I got to stop. Um, I got to just stop, uh, Frank, right here. And uh, Billy, I will definitely give you the mic. I know you're about to say about this. But to, you know, just because for research, I was like, you know what? I'm going through this. Let me make sure I have all my ducks in a row. So I, I Googled NAMBLA, um, and I found their website, which looks like it's about, I don't know, 25 years old written in like html1 they were founded in 1975 just to be clear okay so it's not like this is some new organization that since this again quote unquote trans craze as they call it took off now nambla exists however um many i would say the overwhelming majority of people queer or not have never seen nambla as a respectable organization like <laughs> what the, what are you talking about here in fact when i googled them all i found were articles from progressive media from centric media saying hey uh nambla's it has has been disintegrated in the past six years hey this is horrible the government has them on their website saying this is a terrible organization i don't know anyone and if i did i would say that's a problem we gotta talk about it because you're way wrong about this to be clear but like to pretend that this is somehow like the next logical conclusion um it's ridiculous when you think about it because we would never apply the same standard to a heterosexual person right no one would think oh well you're married to a woman tim the next step it's nambla it's like what like no no it's not i'm very happy in my relationship Oh, yeah, gosh, no, right. I mean, and here's the thing, like, Nambla, I only know who they are because of the debates about gay marriage back in the, like, late, late, you know, early, <laughs> 2007, 2008, 2009. Yes. And conservatives were bringing them up then. I think, I think part of that really honestly might be that Frank hasn't updated that part of his book. He's releasing a third edition. He's just reusing the stuff that, that we don't even talk about anymore. Um, but yeah, for all of that, for all of that, it's, it's ridiculous. That was never part of the queer advocacy that's not what we've been fighting for and every organization i know has denounced them like it, it's uh i think maybe okay i'm being I'm, be, I'm doing the thing right i'm going to be really charitable here right if this is what he thinks i will grant that when a bad organization uses the talking points from a good organization yes. it is the responsibility of the good organization to say no we right. denounce that and he's right that bad. like the pro the nambla type people do try to use yes our talking points it is also true that every single major LGBTQ plus advocacy organization has said, no, oh my gosh, we denounce that. It's yes. wrong and our ethic insists on consent. You can't have an ethic, a sexual ethic apart from consent. Exactly. And pedophilia fundamentally makes a consent impossible. Exactly. We denounce it, we denounce it, we denounce it. So it has been said so many times. Right, I agree. Now my uncharitable take is maybe they should read their Bible if they want to talk about like some weird sexual relationships that don't seem like they're that frowned upon. We'll just keep it there because I don't want to get censored by YouTube because, you know, the man's watching. <laughs> but my point is just that I agree with you, Billy, 100%. I have never to this day seen anyone try and push legislation to legalize what Frank is assuming is going to be. It's like we're like one step away from happening. And there would be mass... If, if such... A, a piece of legislation was suggested there would be such widespread rightfully so outrage and say are you crazy of course not so anyway 
we did, I was trying to be very emphatic about that, that this is, I think, a straw man because there's just no data that suggests this is like the next logical step because consent between two adults is usually like the foundational bedrock of any kind of sexual ethic that we would be advocating for. Absolutely. Oh, why do I do this to myself? I'm triggered all day. <laughs> Written a book. I can't remember the name of the book, but he said... I have your book, Correct, Not Politically Correct, and you deal with the objection, we were born this way, because that's that was the, the justification for saying, well, that's why we should engage in this behavior. And he said to me, do you know what the pedophiles are using as their justification for what they do? We were born this way. Uh, we just have this affinity for children, and we can't help it. Now, of course, in the book, I point out there's a difference between attractions and actions. Yes. We all have we all have attractions we ought not act on. Let me just pause and just say something in case the audience is thinking about it. People um, could use that born this way language to commit a lot of harm all the time. I have people in my life who are like, hey, I for some reason I was just born with the proclivity towards more addictive behaviors, right? Whether it's alcohol abuse, substance abuse, right? Obviously, if you're committing harm, the rhetoric of I'm born this way does not work. I mean that that's like a pretty widely understood thing right if i if i get angry a lot and i abuse my spouse no one again queer or not this is just human would be like well tim was born that way so of course it's okay no of course not so we're not using that language we're using it in the context of who someone is again adult attracted to or how just someone is wired to behave that can become healthy ethical ways of existing in the world that's very important to navigate because Frank tends to just throw a lot of things out and make a lot of like, uh, you use the word equivalencies or something like that, you know, just trying to make it like a one for one. And it's not the same thing. And it's not fair because it's not good faith. Yeah. All right. We'll keep going. Oh, and I know that if End you, of rant. everyone watching knows that if you continue, or let me put it this way, if you, without moral restraint, act on every attraction you have, you wouldn't live very long. Mm -hmm. You certainly wouldn't have stable relationships very long. Because sure. you have attractions all the time that you need to say no to. Yeah. Particularly as you and I are both married, not to one another, but we're married, right? We, mm -hmm. we, we have to say no to anybody else that we find attractive. Otherwise, our That goes for queer relationships, right? right. I mean, Billy, <laughs> you're a married person, am I right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, and no, exactly. You, yeah, like, <laughs> I don't understand. Like, right, Frank, if you're committed to one person... And anyone, straight or not, would would be tempted to go outside of that. We would say, yeah, you're breaking consent. You're breaking the approval of that person, right? I don't know why this is like the slam dunk moment of, therefore, being queer is is, is unnatural because that's the whole argument, right? It's natural law. I'm I'm not I'm failing to see it. Yeah. Okay. At this point, I think he likes to say a lot of things that pretty much anybody would agree with, and then do this sort of shift. Ah, but the queers right. are not doing that, right? They're, yeah, like, right, oh, no. right. <laughs> exactly. It's just going to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just a simple example. You, you see things you're attracted to all the time, whether it's from a financial perspective. I wish I could buy that. Yeah, I'm going to go into debt if I do. Or I wish I could eat that. Yeah, I'm going to become you know, 600 pounds if I keep doing that. You know, I'm you so sorry, Billy. I, ha I have to cut off right there. Just to be clear, this is a big gap here, I think, in Frank's logic. You can go into debt legally. You can eat that piece of cake legally, right? No one is advocating for um, the government to restrain if people, again, we're presuming Frank's worldview for a second. Obviously, we disagree with it. But let's presume that he's equating 
you know, eating McDonald's every day to uh, being in a, a, you know, a queer relationship. Okay, but the government doesn't prohibit people from eating McDonald's all day. So why are you advocating for it? Relation? Does that make sense? Like it, it doesn't even it doesn't no, it does. make sense that way. And he, I, I think he really likes to. I think he tends to jump around a lot in terms of how much yeah. he wants to be arguing for. Sometimes he is saying, you know, same-sex marriage absolutely shouldn't be legal. Other times he's saying, well, there should be some toleration. I think how far he's trying to push in a given argument depends for him entirely on the argument. And this goes back to a lot of the sort of tactical approach to doing apologetics that, again, feels very familiar to a kid that grew up in a 90s youth group. Yeah, I agree. Actions. Mm -hmm. Most of the time you have to say no. And unfortunately, the culture, at least in some areas, seems to think that, no, you have to act on your attractions. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. You have to act on what is moral and right. Otherwise, you're going to destroy yourself and others. And if you look Nobody at same-sex behavior, just mm -hmm. medically, no one likes to talk about this. But I mm -hmm. talk about it in the book, and I have footnotes throughout it. Same-sex same behavior from a medical perspective is not healthy. Mm -hmm. In fact, and, and stats change because our medical care has improved. But for, say, gay men, their, their lifespan is anywhere between 8 and 20 years uh, less than oh, yeah. heterosexuals. <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, 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 we prep for this. Uh, okay, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Billy, the floor is yours. I will try and be your slide maestro on my end, and we'll try and get to this. So, so the claim that Frank is making is, hey, from from a natural law perspective, um, gay men live eight to twenty years less than straight men do. Therefore, it is unhealthy to be gay. Go ahead. Okay, this one this one was honestly really hard for me. Um, hmm. I, in fact, I think emotionally, this was possibly the hardest claim to like research, try to engage with. It's certainly the hardest. And he's about to, come, I mean, I'm not a gay man. He's about to go after trans, transgender people, but like this might honestly be the most emotionally difficult thing he says for me to just process because he's weaponizing the AIDS crisis. He is weaponizing mm. a plague that destroyed my community yeah. as an, as a talking point against the legitimacy and validity of queer people, right? So the numbers he's getting there, and I had, I did actually go and get, like, I looked at his book because in this video, he keeps saying what the statistics say, but he doesn't cite them in the video and they don't, they're not in the comments. They're not right. anywhere in the, in the information. So I had, I was having trouble finding it. So I went up to find the book to find out what is he actually citing on this one? And he's, he's citing, well, one, he's citing some pretty ancient stuff. Like this is, I think a 2007 study that I, that I think is the major one that he wanted to cite on this one. Did you um, give me a slide it, for this or no? I don't think we have a slide on that. Okay, on that's fine. Oh, we do have. We have a. I think uh, we do have a slide for, that's like a screenshot of his book and the footnote to it. Oh, okay, I'll find that and pull it up. Yeah. So his, his citation for this is a couple of of um, really old studies on the lifespan of um, on the lifespan of queer people. Uh, most of them are just on the lifespan of gay men. He kind of admits that there is in a footnote. Right? They, they love to put the caveats in the footnote. Yeah. Um, but he, he, in the footnote, he admits that there's some problems with most of the studies, but he wants to hold on to a gold standard one that is um, that is not like done by a Christian organization, basically. Mm. Um, and the problem is entirely that it it's a, it it determines the average lifespan of gay men based on the, the 70s, 80s, and 90s during the AIDS crisis, mm. um, which is of course going to bias your your life expectancy downwards significantly. But I want to say that a lot of the reason that that lifespan of gay men is lower in that time period is because conservatives were so 
repulsed by queer people that yes. they did not fund the research to treat the disease that was ravaging our community. And this, it, this, yes. this was not a factor of some intrinsic sinfulness of anybody except people who didn't think that queer people deserve decent hospitalization and research into what actually might heal us and protect us and keep us safe. Yes. Um, and yes. because they didn't, like be, the, the disease has spread, is the, it spread much farther than it ever would have because the government took as long as they did that, because the Reagan administration wouldn't recognize gay, uh, wouldn't recognize AIDS for as long as it did HIV AIDS. Um, so he's using this tragedy and it's just so painful to see somebody use what is, I, I think in our generations, the last few, the great tragedy of our community and then try to use that against us is, again, I, I don't have another word but cruel. Yeah, it is cruel. it's dehumanizing. It's dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. In fact, in uh, Bridget Eileen Rivera's book, uh, Heavy Burdens, she has a whole chapter devoted with actual stories, like actual examples. And honestly, it was heartbreaking. Also, I did not know this, uh, yeah. but you're absolutely correct. Uh, during the AIDS crisis, the government failed to respond. Christians were incredibly cruel. They saw it as, quote, God's judgment, right, towards those people. And by the way, if you think I'm exaggerating, remember, Jerry Falwell, senior after 9-11, blamed 9-11 as uh, God's judgment for the feminists, the abortionists, and the gays. So this is a very entrenched belief system. And you're right. Uh, help and and funding was withheld. And a lot of people who do not need to suffer and die, suffered and died. And it, it, it's yeah. I completely agree. It's a complete dehumanization and a weaponization, by the way. Because you'll notice here, friends, this is very important that I want to bring up. And again, I'm not saying that Frank or Melissa wouldn't be able to do this, but for some reason, they really don't cite their sources here. And this is kind of a, a, a this is why I wanted to bring Billy on because I said, Billy, can you be more of like the research side? So we could give you sources. We have a lot of other slides we'll get to showing actual data points that we can pull from. If people want to dispute that, they can, but we at least have a source we're giving you you, you know, why we believe what we believe from. You don't really get that in a lot of these types of podcasts. You get people who just spew a fire hose of information. Oh, this, that, the other thing. And how do you verify all of that? Well, you take your time going through it line by line like this and, and kind of debunking it. So yeah, I agree. Yep. All right, let's keep going. Medically and not to go into the details here, but, but medically, <laughs> as we know, it, 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 and, and anatomically, it doesn't work. It's it's it's, it's an abuse of the, of the human body. Mm -hmm. People never say this. They don't want to say it. But look, it's just the truth. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so if you get the book. Uh, I, I, need, I need to say it. Obviously, we know what Frank's referring to. Okay. Uh, and many heterosexuals. Uh, engage in the same behavior, okay? I'm just pointing that out. Uh, in fact, um, Mark Driscoll in his sex book like ages, ages ago talks about anal sex and is like, hey, if you guys want to do it, go for it. So I really think this is such a poorly laid out argument that if you're having anal sex, you're going to live eight to 20 years less. If that was the case, you wouldn't, <laughs> that would be a problem for, for, for women and men who were heterosexual as well, clearly. Yeah. Anyway, and just want to notice point that, that out. Like where he is right now, gay relationships are just sex right now. Great point. That's a great point. <clears throat> politically correct, I get into all that. And, yeah. And and you can take it or leave it, but it's the truth. You don't look. You don't like it. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. Yeah. And then you talk about orientation and behavior, mm -hmm. and there's a difference between them. Where yes. it's, yeah, like it's not necessarily the issue isn't the orientation; it's the sexual behavior. Right. This is progression. And, this is uh, progression. I, I think you do a good job. This is an evangelical progression from where they were 
in the 80s, yep. in the 90s, in the 2000s, right? So again, this demonstrates to me that once again, in particular, white evangelicals like these folks and others, they'll eventually catch up, but they will go kicking and screaming with a lot of freaking harm. That's the problem, right? That's the problem. Because you asked Jerry Falwell when he was alive, oh no, even the orientation is a, I'm going to use some strong language, an abomination, right? Because yeah. if you're just gay, you're just evil. Now it's, well, the orientation isn't bad. It's only if you act on it. So we can even trace the progression in evangelical thought one step painfully at a time that out so for people that kind of want to know more about that uh, let me say one other thing because uh, the genesis of this book really came out of a friend of mine who died in 1993 of AIDS. this is horrible oh, yeah, I hate this yeah. yeah I start that I start the book out mm -hmm. with that and his parents who were my I mean the, the kid grew up right next to me mm -hmm. his 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 younger brother was my best friend he was just a little bit older than me mm -hmm. and uh, his parents were like second parents to me but when his when this this friend of mine came out back in the late 80s, his parents didn't really know what to do. And instead of kind of warning him that this is not the road to go down, they they embraced his lifestyle and uh, tried to affirm everything he was doing. And six years later, he was dead. Mm -hmm. uh, What's frustrating about this story to me, first off, it is tragic. Of course, we all know that. It's a horrible story. It's a sad story. It, it bothers me that Frank either is ignorant of his own tradition's complicity, right, in, in, in withholding funding that might have helped his friend, or he just overlooks that and said the focus is, well, the, quote, lifestyle is what did it, right? And it's like, wow, you know, we know now the history of that situation. And we know that many Christians, like as we just said a minute ago, were some of the most callous people, including someone put this in the comments. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up it's a little a little shocking, but you know, mm -hmm. uh Lawrence said I remember the mocking by nurses who I worked with during the AIDS crisis. Yeah. That's a real thing. I and again Bridget Eileen Rivera uh, details that in the book. So this this culture of dehumanization aided in what happened to Frank's friend. But for Frank, he's now become, in my opinion, I, I wanna be very careful because that's Frank's friend. I don't wanna I don't want to take away from his own pain and feeling that. But I think it's a little um, harmful maybe or hurtful that Frank is now using his friend's story for a political talking point to further dehumanize queer people. Yeah. Does that make sense? Um, no, absolutely. And I mean, and again, I, he certainly, I think in about 10 seconds, he's about to be a little bit choked up. You can kind of see it about you know, the yeah. death of his friend. Or his right. friend's older brother, right? But and he's about to say, "I don't want to victim blame." He's about to victim blame. He is going to blame the parents for affirming their child. Here we go. <clears throat> now, look, I, I'm not trying to cast blame on them for that. I'm just pointing out that it probably wasn't the best approach in hindsight to say, "Yeah, you should do this because you have this attraction." Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's medically not a road you want to go down. <sighs> yeah, you know, and see, and I think that that's where that kind of gets lost on people because mm -hmm. that's why, you know, a conversation like this would be considered hateful for people, you know, in this, in this demographic, but it's, we're not, we don't hate you. Like mm -hmm. if you're watching this, you know, and thank you for watching, you may not agree with us or even like us, but um, yeah, there's, there's a love and a concern that, as you said, a lot of people don't talk about. Uh, that is this good for society as a whole? Is this good for you? Is this good for, and I think that that's where uh, Carl Truman talks about this, where the individual self 
You know, the authentic self within is what's taking dominance instead of what's good for everybody, like an unselfish mm. type of, of wholeness. Mm. I, I want to bring something up here. Just just to quote Frank's own use of 1 Corinthians 13, right? I mean, it, it's pretty clear um, that in the love chapter, right, it does, uh, it does not dishonor others. It's not proud. It's not self-seeking. It always trusts. It always hopes. I think I, hopefully this, this screen works. Let's see. Hey, it yep. does. There we go. You know, I mean, we have it right here. So... Where's the trust in that conversation from Melissa? Where's the hope? Where's the persevering? Where is the 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 truth? Meaning, why aren't they addressing or talking to or with people who are in the queer community trying to learn, but instead talking at, right? So from my vantage point, this is like a weaponized version of love where it's, hey, you have to assimilate into what I am telling you love is. And if you don't believe me or if you give me a different option, I'm going to reject that and say, sorry, you just don't understand the true meaning of love. Right. And so where, where does that lead us? Well, it leads to people. It leads to the AIDS crisis, right? It leads to people dehumanizing other people in the name of love. And it's very upside down, in my opinion. Yeah, no, like the, the second one there is love is kind. There, there's nothing kind. And, and she can say, I'm sorry, we don't hate you. If this is harsh, we love you. Love is patient. Love is kind. Yeah. There is nothing of kindness in telling the parents of an AIDS victim that their affirmation of his queerness caused his death. That yep. there is no there in no world is that a kind thing to do. It just isn't. Yeah. Um, and I and I don't think we need to pretend it is. I don't think we should have to pretend it is. I agree. It's tough for people to see past that. And from what oh, I oh yeah, it is. And yeah. when you look at from a political perspective, there's only three things mm -hmm. a government can do on any issue. A government can prohibit prohibit a behavior, permit a behavior, or promote a behavior. Those are the only three things you can do. Mm -hmm. You can you can prohibit, permit, or promote. Now, for many years in in most of our nation's history, the nation through the states thought it was acceptable to prohibit same-sex behavior. Mm -hmm. And we might today say, "Well, it's a free country; we should allow people, we should permit people to do that." Okay, so you've, now you're moving from prohibit to permit. Mm -hmm. But to go to same-sex marriage, what you've done now is you've gone to promote. Now you're saying that the behavior is a good thing. And by the way, even as late as 1986, the Supreme Court said that the states had the right to prohibit same-sex behavior. It wasn't until 2003 in the Lawrence v. Texas decision that the Supreme Court said, oh, you can't prohibit it anymore. Now, the Constitution- I, I, I kind of debate this language of prohibit, permit, promote. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think um, saying, hey, uh, queer people have the right to get married and be federally recognized as a married couple is somehow promoting it is simply saying we're gonna we're gonna give you the same access to rights legally that other people have in society right we're not gonna we're not what we're not gonna do is say hey if if you get married to someone of the same gender we're gonna give you a million dollars that would be promoting <laughs> that's like right. an incentive but simply allowing or saying we will we will we will expand equal rights under the law to other types of marriages that are not just heterosexual is, I would argue in this framework is permitting, not promoting. Yeah. But I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Billy. No, I mean, pretty much the same thing. I, I don't get where he's, the idea of, well, no, I, if I'm cynical, promoting <laughs> is exactly the language that a right-wing base and especially a lot of you know, anti-trans Christian nationalist types love right like they love this language that we are yes. promoting this thing because then they can say well we're just against promotion of it in schools or in libraries or whatever right right there's just no there there there's no actual promotion to point to nobody is going up to a kid and saying 
you know, to a straight kid and saying, hey, have you considered getting gay married? It might be great. <laughs> right? Like, that's just not happening. Right. Um, right. And maybe, maybe just to paint this. Oh, I'm sorry. I need to cut you off. No, no, go no, ahead. no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was no, just going to say, maybe to kind of draw another stark contrast. You know, if you see an interracial couple on TV, no one's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm being for, you know, like I, I imagine if, if this was then. Right. Imagine this is a segregationist saying, well, you know, the government's promoting interracial marriage because they exist on TV. It's like, first off, they should be allowed to. But number two, like, that's not how this works. Like, we're just recognizing that people exist and have the same rights underneath the law. So for me, it's, it's it just this comparison just falls apart just so quickly when you really start thinking about it. So anyway, I digress. I will keep moving on. <laughs> it didn't change, right? It was just the Supreme Court had changed and went more political. Now, you, you can argue the political, you know, should should it pro be prohibited or not? Let's That's what Frank is arguing. It be, should be permitted. But to go from permit to promote, hmm. now yeah. you're doing something else. You're saying this is a good thing. And you know what the real problem with same-sex marriage is? from my view anyway, and as I do, I explain this in the book, correct? Yes, correct. yes, Frank. It's not that same-sex marriage is the issue. It's that marriage now as an institution has become genderless. And mm -hmm. if it's become genderless, what that means is that marriage no longer has any connection to children. Because if two men can get married or two women can get married, that's not a procreative relationship. Uh, and you're teaching, the law is a great teacher, you're teaching society that marriage is just about coupling. It's not about children. Well, if there is not a- Do you want to take us, I didn't understand his comment about, about marriage becoming genderless. Um, I, I, and you want to take a stab at that? I, I did not follow. So again, maybe breaking our rule about cynicism here. I, uh, <laughs> I did cynically think he's just trying to bridge the gap to transness. Um, he's trying to he's trying to draw some kind of straight path establishment because there's the closest I could get after that was he's trying to say that if gay people can get married, then the gender of your spouse isn't legally pre-required, and therefore the like you don't need two genders in a marriage. But that's not genderless. That, I mean, again, that's the closest I could get, and it's still not genderless. Like. I'm I'm a lesbian. I, I it's, it matters to me that my wife is a woman, right? Like, right, right. I don't know yeah. what he's. Okay. I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> right. Same. If marriage is not the institution to protect children, what institution does protect children? Now, of course, we know that there are some opposite sex marriages that don't produce children, but those are the exception rather than the rule. And secondly, they still. Uh, exhibit to society a generally procreative relationship. And thirdly, that marriage keeps the man off the street from impregnating women who are not uh, his wife. Okay. So Can that, I, I gotta, that I yeah, I, do you have anything to say? And yeah, yeah, no, I'll, you I'll go this, first, this Billy. You go. Say a thing real quick. You he go, just, I, he just threw you under the bus, my guy. What the hell, Frank? <laughs> oh my God. Like, what? Like, the only reason why I'm married is so I'm not impregnating women down the street? Like, I, I don't, okay. Uh, well, also, again, I I don't. The, the government in America gives me a tax break because having children costs me a lot of money. They do not pay me to have children. They are not promoting me to have children by saying, "Hey, if you have kids, we'll give you a free house. We'll give you a free car." No, they say, "Okay, Tim, we understand that having children." will cost you money, so we'll give you a break on your taxes. So even this idea of like the government is in the business of 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 
promoting childbearing. Actually, I mean, our healthcare system is pretty screwed up. We're still paying off my firstborn's medical bills. So if anything, yeah. society as it currently stands is aimed at keeping me away from getting uh, my wife pregnant again. Uh, you know, because why would we do that when I have to pay, well, we have to pay more medical bills. There's no family leave. There's no affordable childcare. Rates are through the roof. Oh, thank God I get a tax break. Like even that, just, just look, look around, Frank. There's nothing that is bent. And might I argue, then I'll give it to you, Billy. It is, and I I don't know Frank's or Melissa's policies on this. I would just say, because Frank does work with Turning Point USA, Turning Point, they don't advocate for livable wages. They call that socialism. They don't advocate for paid family leave. They call that Marxism, right? So like these, these pro-family policies that you think would be the loudest calls from the pro-family people, it's actually the opposite. We still can't get affordable health care, and they still decry Obamacare, which is very flawed. But at least they, at least Obama tried to get us something. So it just right. is so interesting to see the words out of their mouth and to see the policies that they push for. They are in complete odds with each other. Yeah, no, I mean these are the people that tried to block the expand that did successfully block the expanded child tax credit. That like actually made it a lot more affordable to have kids, right? Like this was this is the one government thing we've seen in quite a while that made like literally having more children, you got paid, like you got some money for it, and they got rid of that. So I, I'm with you. I I, I think I and again I, I spent a lot of time trying to think about this one. Yeah, I think this really does go back to he's trying to do what he's calling a natural law thing, hmm. and this go and, and the natural law justification of marriage is procreation, or like the justification of sex, honestly. Right. Is procreation. And I, so I think I think my suspicion is, and again, I don't have confirmation of this. I haven't talked to Frank on it, right? Like right. my suspicion is that he's his project is to do this not using Bible verses, defense of straight marriage and getting rid of gay marriage. And all he's got is procreation. Because right. that's the the argument that that natural law makes, and I, people in comments are, are have been saying, I think accurately recognizing, he's just trying to make this about procreation. And of course, you can't really do that. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're doing that, you're going to be against birth control. You're going to take some really unpopular positions, and you're actually going to be violating pretty standard evangelical beliefs, uh, theories about marriage and and sex and the purpose of all of it. Right. Um, you'll totally. be right on with certain very traditional Catholic views, but that's about it. And, and I think that's not comfortable for where he is. So I think there's a lot of sort of hand-waving that has to be done. You saw where he sort of said, some straight couples don't have kids, but that's not the norm. Not the norm is an interesting th way to, to put that. These are, are is he saying that, that childless straight marriages are also an attack on marriage? Right. That's that, that's where things, that's where you kind of, dies the death of a thousand qualifications, right? Like, well, what is the norm? And I, by the way, to your point, and I, I want to be clear, I'm not accusing Frank or Melissa of holding these views. What I will say is that, is that the world that Frank inhabits with Turning Point and those folks, there is a growing movement right, to get rid of access to birth control. There is a growing movement to start banning over-the-counter birth control pills. There is a movement for that. So make no mistake, in these far-right nationalist spaces, you're absolutely correct, Billy. There is a push to say, this is the purpose of sex, which, like you said, does really stray from the typical evangelical Mark Driscoll, sex is pleasurable, you know, say it for your wedding night because sex is so much fun thing. And now it says, well, if you're not having children, is your marriage really, is it really legitimate, right? And, and, and it's a bad, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> no, it absolutely, right. No, but this is an interesting thing. Um, Al Mohler wrote about this immediately in the wake of the same sex, of the marriage decision of Obergefell. 
he said, I think maybe we need to go back and reconsider the legitimacy of the Catholic view that all, all sexual relationships need to at least be open to procreation. Um, because we seem to have lost this. That might be a necessary view for us as evangelicals, he's a Southern Baptist, right, to adopt in order to start winning this culture war. So this, he's, Frank is playing, is, is speaking in a conversation, out of a conversation that yes. does exist in these very conservative, yeah. evangelical, and then right-wing Christian, again, tried Catholic type circles. And we don't have time to get into that. That's a whole different video, but it's a good indication that, again, there's so much shifting happening in our culture right now. So let's not pretend that like p folks operating in the world that Frank inhabits politically are just standing up for consistent values. They have certainly moved their goalpost. Um, they, I guess I could accuse certain people on our end of doing the same thing, whatever, but like, let's not pretend that somehow they've always been consistent. They're definitely shifting even their own standards. Yeah. It still has advantages to society, but when you look at the purpose of marriage from a societal perspective, mm -hmm. the reason the government's involved in marriage is not to recognize romantic affinity. The reason the government's involved in marriage is to, is to uh, procreate or to protect and propagate society, to stabilize and propagate society. That's the reason the government's involved in marriage. It's not to recognize that John loves Mary or Bill loves Steve or any of those things. I mean, why, why would the government care about that? Mm -hmm. Really, when you think about it, I mean, when you go, when you were for your marriage license, they didn't ask you, do you really love him? Uh, did, did they, do you really love her? No, they don't ask you that question. Yeah. Right? They're, they're asking you uh, questions about procreation. No, they're you know? not. I never, <laughs> I applied for a marriage license. There was no question of, do you plan on having children? If so, how many? What's your timeline? I mean, that wasn't the question. We literally, I live in New Jersey. We went to our, our county clerk. They gave us an application. We filled it out. My parents signed it. My in-laws signed it. We had an official ceremony. We got our license that said, congratulations. Legally, we now see you as a married couple. And here's how it works tax-wise. Here's the rights that you have now, like visitation rights, power of attorney rights, etc. And queer people are simply saying, hey, we're in, a lot of us are in committed long-term relationships and we like those same legal rights. And Frank's response is, no, the government's job is really to promote procreation. And that's, that's what they do. Therefore, your marriage is invalid. It's like, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> no, again, and he, he's going to, I don't know if it's before or after this, he sort of hand waves away. He's like, what about a couple that's infertile? You know, the government does actually allow and has always allowed, you know, 75 year old couple, straight couples to get married. There's no sense of, you know, well, I don't think you're going to have a kid, right? Like right. we're worried that you might not right. procreate the idea that the idea that the government's laws about marriage, that, that marriage exists as a legal thing to protect procreation is just, it's bizarre. I don't know where he's coming from with it, honestly, because yeah. it's, it's, it's not it's our constitution, to, right? It's, it's right. not part of any part of history. <laughs> it's yeah. it's their humans here. have historically that, pair bonded. It's what we do. Yeah. And they needed a way to legalize and legitimate, legally you know, legitimate and recognize that, that tendency. Thing. Mm -hmm. Because that's why the government's involved in marriage. And it really wasn't the same sex, the LGBTQ community that has given us same sex marriage. Melissa, it's really uh, Christians who bought into the who bought into the romance view of marriage. God, mm -hmm. I'm gonna we're the ones that said, well, I'm going to invent so hard. Romance. Well, if it's just about romance. <laughs> why, why, why not two men or two women? Mm -hmm. that, that's what brought brought us genderless marriage. It's really it's really Yeah. Hard. And even vocal about this too lately, where you, and I always, I always like that when people of, in any group take some sort of responsibility, right? Where they're like, well, hey guys, we got to look at us and see what we did. 
um, over time to kind of get us where we're at today. And because that's what we would want from people we disagree with too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's healthy insight. So, uh, no, no, no. Hold the phone. If anything, with all due respect to Frank and Melissa, if anything, you should be asking, how did you give us Trump? If anything, you should be asking, why is Frank hanging out with Charlie Kirk, who's who's platforming folks like Alex Jones and defending him? If anything, you should be outraged. This should be a video on the fact that Andrew Tate is being softballed, interviewed by Tucker Carlson and Candace Owens. Okay, those are the questions you should ask, because I'll tell you right now, I believe and I believe I can back this up, any legitimate historian, conservative or not, will tell you how historically, in particular, evangelicals, and for a while, many, many Christians, but really white evangelicals, the most powerful Christian group in America, have been so outspoken against gay marriage. They have thrown so much money towards lobbying groups. They continue to attack the, the, that that legal framework. They are targeting, um, is it a, a Burgerfell? Is that what it's called? The, the, the Supreme Court yeah. case that, that federalized yeah. it? They are, they are very clear. They are outspoken. We know if you're a Christian, the Barna Group, this is data from the Barna Group, in 2007, they did a book called Unchristian, and the perception by most non-Christians was that Christians in America, all of them, whether they agree with it or not, are homophobic, are anti-queer, okay? We know that you guys do not like queer people. We know that you tell us you love them, but in reality, you fight tooth and nail to stop every single right possible for them legally and no one is forcing you melissa or frank or charlie or whoever we're talking about to leave your heterosexual marriage and get married to someone of the same sex that's imposing we're simply saying can other people live their life how they need to in a free and open society that guarantees the same access to rights for all people in the country that's not a big ask <sighs> Thanks, Billy. 100% agree. Very well said. It's too long for bumper sticker, but I was, I was trying to research some version of Frank Turek says Mark Driscoll gave me gay marriage. Thank you, Mark Driscoll. And I'm trying to find there's a T-shirt there somewhere. I gotta I gotta figure this one out. Other than that, no, like that's all I have to add because that was that was that was phenomenal. Absolutely. Oh, thanks. Parse that out a little bit more. Because even uh, vocal about this, where uh, Christians have some responsibility in this regard. Uh, what do you mean by that? How how would you say love that note, Frank. there has been an effect? Is it because Christians haven't been involved? They just like, yeah, eh, we don't want to be involved with this. This isn't really our place. Is, is that what it is? Or is there a little bit more on that? Well, the first no-fault divorce law came out of California, signed by wow. Ronald Reagan. No-fault oh, divorce. California. Hmm. Well-intended, he thought. You know, people are trapped in bad marriages. We've got to get, get them out of it. The problem is... The negative consequence of that is that now people can leave a marriage without no matter whose fault it was and leave the other person stranded. Okay, I I need to pause. Now, this is when I get a little more concerned because going after no fault divorce is a hard right talking point. Now, I do a lot of work in that tracking of the Christian nationalist space. And this is like the right, this is the Texas uh, GOP's political um, platform in 2122 to get rid of no fault divorce. A lot of white nationalists use this language. Now, again, I'll be clear. I'm not accusing Frank of being a white nationalist. I'm just saying whether he realizes it or not, he is pulling a talking point that is rooted in a very misogynistic, um, you know, men are in charge, women submit, 
law because ultimately no fault divorce gave equal rights to women to have agency and power to leave a marriage without having to tell the government why they're doing that so this this one for me talking point i was like it was a major red flag like they went across my head like red flag all the way across no absolutely i didn't think to look in his book but i i actually would not be shocked to find that this is a relatively new talking point for him since it became something on the right because it's not something i remember being part of the conversation I you know, agree. in 2007, 2008, 2009, 2012. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is new and it's it's really disturbing. I mean, no fault divorce. Okay, I do want to say this. We're going to, they're always, and they, conservative, anti-trans, anti-queer voices are tend to be very, very skeptical about government as good when it comes to the government is supporting queer rights, right? And at the same time, they're not going to acknowledge that no-fault divorce is how abused women can leave marriages when they can't legally prove the, the abuse. And we yes. can't always legally prove abuse, right? So the legal institutions get to be perfect when they want them to be perfect. That would be a problem because, of course, we have a legal system to take care of those problems. But then they're completely imperfect and unjust when they are making decisions that, you know, the conservatives don't like. And it's, Great it's point. really dangerous. Great point. And a lot of times the reason they do that is because they no longer have romantic feelings for the other person. Well, if marriage is all about feelings, never don't take the vow because you can't vow feelings for the next 50 years. You know, you can't vow. I'll never be hungry or I'll never be angry. You can't. Mm -hmm. All you can do is vow behavior. And by the way, you don't need a vow when you're all with your spouse, right? Mm -hmm. You don't need a vow. Don't, don't reduce, don't reduce gay marriages to feeling, to being all about feelings. Yeah, it, it's rude. I, again, it's not kind. He's not following his rules. And they're talking. This is what I mean. This is what I mean when I say they're talking about us. They're not talking to us. It's not that there isn't a queer person as a third member on the screen. It's right. that this is the kind of conversation that only makes sense if there isn't a queer person in the room not involved in that conversation generally. Yeah. And I want to be clear, too. You know, I, I, for me, at running an organization, the New Evangelicals, I... I'm not always perfect at this, but I do my best to know my limits. You know, I try and bring on the podcast people who are qualified to talk about topics that I'm interested in but aren't qualified to talk about, like you and your brother, right, and other folks. And I feel like in this world, like of the apologetics world, for some reason, they just feel like they're qualified to talk about everything, right? Like Frank's PhD, I think, is in apologetics from Southern. It's in apologetics. Yeah, it's not in human sexuality. It's not in you know um, whatever we're talking about. And so it's frustrating because again. Again, I want to be clear. I'm not saying I do it perfectly, but we have to realize that we're not going to be, we're not going to be qualified to speak publicly about everything as, as, as in, in an authoritative matter. So we should just know our limits and bring people on who we could look at as qualified, right? And yeah. so it's just frustrating to even watch this conversation happen. It's like, wait, did, like what are your qualifications besides I'm conservative, I'm an I'm an apologist, and here I am. Oh, I mean, you're infatuated. You're, you know, you're, you're not going anywhere. You need a vow when you wake up in the morning and you go, you again. <laughs> right? That's when you need the vow. Yeah. Okay. Well, Christians have bought into the you again idea of marriage. Oh, you, you're not the one for me anymore. I got to find somebody else who really lights my flame. And so mm-hmm. we bought into no fault divorce that spread across the country. And now people think marriage is just about the romantic affinity of two adults. So mm-hmm. why not two men or two women? It's just, that's just where it goes. It's our fault. 
we're the ones that brought this on ultimately because yeah. we didn't view the covenant view of marriage that I'm with you for better or worse. Mm -hmm. I'm with you because we need to love one another, even when we don't like one another mm -hmm. and we need to bring up children and we need to stay together, at least for the sake of the children. And we have this covenant together before the state and before God. And of course, from a Christian perspective, this marriage is an illustration of our <laughs> ultimate union with Jesus. Yeah. Just really quick, I mean, if I was talking to Frank, here are the questions I would ask him. First, I would ask him, are any other types of, of marriages that are not Christian legitimate? If two atheists get married, or is it legitimate? If a Buddhist and a Hindu get married, is that legitimate, etc.? cetera? Uh, I would also ask him, because he's very big on keeping the family together, which I think is in most cases, very healthy to do. And my question would be, okay, suppose that you have at your church two, uh, two men who are married to each other show up with their four legally adopted kids, right? For whatever reason, they have these kids and they've been with them since they were young, they've raised them, and now those people, quote unquote, get saved. What is the solution? Do you say, sorry, the Bible's clear, your marriage is a sham, break up the marriage, send the kids back to foster care? What do you do in that situation? I mean, what's the option, right? And I, not, I'm, again, I'm sure Frank would give me an answer. I'm not saying he couldn't answer that, but that would be the question I would want to ask him is like, so when, but when it comes down to it, when something's already set in motion beyond your control, right, that goes against what you think is, un, is the natural law and your biblical perspective, do you break up the family or not? Like, what's the more ethical thing to do in that situation? To me, I think it's clear, but I would like to know Frank's question, answer to that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, Lots of queer families have have children. I have three kids, right? Like, yeah, it's a right. very, yeah. Yeah, good. Keep going. Woo. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, just so everybody knows, it's not like we're advocating for, you know, abusive marriages. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're not sitting here. Not. I hope yeah, yeah. people don't, people read stuff into what we do, right. do and don't say. But obviously what we're saying is that, uh, everything Frank is saying, I agree with that. I think that there's just this this easy way out on some levels, mm -hmm. and it's tough. To be clear, I'm not saying they believe or think that this is the outcome, but arguing for no-fault divorces absolutely do contribute to abuse in marriages. I just want to yeah. put it out there for the world to hear it. It is tough sometimes to stick that out, and um, there's good societal reasons for that. Now. There's so much more that you say about this in your book and you give lots of stats and you talk more about same-sex marriage. Let's transition over to something that um, I just have no cant with, which is the transgender craze. Mm -hmm. um, uh. This has really been a big reason why I started homeschooling my girls. Best decision ever, by the way. It's really good. It's going well. Um, but Here we go. All right. Yes. There are people I know. This is, this is something that I wanted to ask you specifically about that it's like they just don't believe that this is an issue, right? Maybe they're leftists. Maybe they just look at us like we are nuts. Like we think they think that we are just hateful and just being mean. Um, they just don't believe that homosexuality and transgenderism, this whole thing, is being forced on people, not through media, mm. not through schools, mm. uh, not through TV, and they're just being represented. All right, that's all they're. That's all we're doing, guys. We're trying to give them representation. You know, they're a minority and they've been through a lot. And we, we just want them to be noticed and recognized and respected. Nobody's forcing this down y'all's throats. And I just adamantly disagree. Mm -hmm. And I know- Really quick, I know you're gonna respond to a lot of that. Actually, why don't you respond first and I'm gonna play the video of the so-called non-hate that people in these circles have for trans people. Yeah, and like big content warning on that, that video. Definitely. Um, yes. For sure. No, this is the, I mean, she's asking him to respond. So it's really fascinating at this kind of this moment in the his video, because she's sort of saying, 
they don't, you know, they say that we're overreacting. Well, they are overreacting. Like that is what, that is what I say. They, they aren't, they're saying, we're just talking about present, you know, um, about uh, visibility. Yes. Yeah. We're just saying it's, it's about visibility that showing people that gay couples exist isn't making your kids gay. And the, what I'm really interested to do someday, maybe, uh, but what is it? What do you have to believe about trans people and about gay people to think that showing a child the existence of a gay couple or a trans person is going to make them gay or trans? Like that, right? The idea that that will do that actually betrays a lot about what you think about what it means to be gay or what it means to be trans. So, yeah, I think that's about all I want to say at, at this specific point. Um, they're about to jump into, he's going to start citing statistics and we'll, we'll talk about We're going to unpack all of those. Friends, by the way, thank you for being here on this live. This is something new that we're doing and uh, Billy put a lot of work into this video as well as I did. So thanks for hanging out with us. I know it's a longer video, but it's important that we go through this. So I love your feedback in the comments. Of course, you can give us a subscribe button if you like the... If you like the video and give us a little like, I'm gonna play a, a montage that we actually shared on our Instagram a couple months ago. Because um, someone was online and said, people think that we hate trans people. We don't hate you, we love you. And I said, oh really? So I'm gonna play this montage content warning. It is very hateful, okay? But these people usually have the ears of the folks like the Franks and the Melissas of the world when it comes to media consumption and, and for political commentary. So here's the video, buckle up, and then we'll we'll get into it. Transgenderism must be eradicated. Obviously, she does not have a son or daughter that is trans, no more than somebody has a dog that is a vegan, but whatever, I guess. Your cellmate, that guy dresses a woman, he's going to you. I'm a girl. It is a cancer on the country. And the Republican Party will be the party that protects children from such an evil that I cannot believe it exists in this time. These people are demonic. Looks like they bought their wig at a dollar store. If I were running the school, I would not allow that um, student to come into the school that is from a same-sex household. Not just people, there are people that are empowered by demonic spirits. And just stand there and look like a freak of nature. Involving children in drag events in any capacity should be outright criminalized everywhere. They platformed a biological male who won a national championship. Someone should have just uh, took care of it the way we used to took care, take care of things in the 1950s or 60s. But the trans movement is the mirror image of Christianity and therefore its natural enemy. So there you go. All of those people, by the way, including Charlie Kirk, who Frank does work with, um, are well embedded in the right wing evangelical consciousness. They are listened to by millions of people. Many are white evangelicals. And so that's my data to prove to people like Melissa that actually you might think that you as an individual um, are not being hateful, but the systems you participate in, the people you associate with are actually part of a larger entity that is really dehumanizing queer people in rhetoric, and that rhetoric leads to violence. I didn't even dig into the bomb threats at Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt Hospital when Matt Walsh targeted. So we need to understand that there are very real threats to queer people because of this kind of rhetoric. And I really hope that if Melissa and or Frank are watching this, they would really take seriously the clips I just played because they all are in context, by the way. I didn't just pull up random clips. If you watch the full videos, they're in context. And these are the people that are platformed by the Charlie Kirks, by certain Christian nationalists that are in the the um, like the the culture or the, or the water of, of these spaces. No, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Do you want to yeah. anything you want to say? Yeah. I was going to just say that one of the things that I always 
I want to point out to somebody like Frank or Melissa, um, you, you mentioned a while back, we're not new, right? Trans people have always existed. We have right. been an active part of LGBTQ, of the LGBTQ plus community. I mean, let's just say since Stonewall, well known, like well rec recognized, this has been a part of what's going on. What is pretty new is evangelical hatred of trans people. Mm. Um, I'm old enough to remember, I had, I remember I have some, someday I'll have to dig them up. I have emails back and forth with very conservative Bible college professors where I would ask them about trans questions. And I got a very like, this is a complicated and nuanced biblical issue. Christians could come down to all kinds of different ways on it. The Bible doesn't really talk about like this, you know, this essential sense of who you are. Maybe the soul is gendered. Like they took a lot of complicated nuanced views on it because it wasn't a culture war issue. Yep. It's not something they start, like they talk about the transgender craze. And I think it would honestly be fair to flip that and say, talk, start talking about the anti-transgender craze. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah. It's, it's troubling. And put that in the context, folks who are watching this, of this is the culture war playbook since really Jerry Falwell and the moral majority started it, right? So you have the abortion crisis all of a sudden, even though decades before that, the SBC, for example, was actually very much a pro-choice organization. Then you have the demonic uh, panic or uh, satanic panic, sorry. Then you have the, the the liberals are coming for for you know America. Then you have whatever else, like insert culture war issue here. It's critical race theory, it's gay marriage, it's socialism, it's Obama. There's always some something that is life or death the, the 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 soul of the nation is at stake and of course ironically the one time i think that's actually the case is when we have a man in power or who was put in power by those same people who literally incited an insurrection so just keep that all in mind as we go through this all right let's get back to this video i know there's a lot to go through still there's people watching that may just be completely oblivious to this as apologists though i think it's really important to understand how and why we got to where we're at and understanding that perspective. Mm. And I still think it's really odd that people just like, oh, you guys got it wrong. Nobody's forcing this down your throats. And I'm like, okay, well, people are losing jobs if they don't agree with this. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's, there's actual consequences. If, you know, like you're in a, a student meeting, you're in a teacher's meeting and they ask your name and pronouns, right? right. I mean, it's strange. It's just, it's under the, it's nobody's forcing it. And this is why what Greg the weirdest thing to be mad about totalitarianism. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's it under is. the guise of tolerance, love, <laughs> and coexist stickers. Mm -hmm. And what I'm wondering if you could give a response to this perspective. Like, what are your thoughts about this? Well, when somebody says, uh, if you're in a, in a business right now and they're trying to force you to admit or to cite your pronouns, I think you ought to have a meeting with your HR person and say, hey, I, I just have a question about some of our policies. Hmm. I don't want to question anyone's intentions here. I think all intentions here are good. I just think there may be some unintended consequences that people may not have realized by this policy. And my first question would be, do you think it is okay to try and force people to violate their consciences? Hmm. And see what Frank believes that, by the way, Frank has no problem saying something to someone that would violate their conscience. Right. Because Absolutely. then, oh, well, you know what? Regardless of what you feel, the reality is the truth is you're this. And so I can't lie to you. So even if it violates your conscience, you just have to deal oh, with it. So this is very much a one way street for Frank. Right. For Frank, he can't make room for someone who maybe he would not agree with on a whatever spectrum you want to say it is. So he can't just play ball and say, yeah, no problem for the sake of, you know, everyone getting along. Yeah, I'm Frank, he, him, right? Instead, it's, well, 
actually, let me violate your conscience and who you are, who you identify as and say, you're just lying to yourself. I know you better than you do. And as a good Christian, I have to love you by telling you that you're not who you think you are. Oh, don't tell me to get into it because you're violating my conscience now. That's how it works. It's so disingenuous. Yeah, I know. It's really weird. I, the, I mean, again, I'm trying to keep score, trying to track this conversation sort of without falling, you know, without losing the forest for the trees. Yeah, yeah. So far, Melissa has said that it's really important. She pulled her kids out of public school and is homeschooling them so that and she and they wouldn't be required to tell people what pronouns are appropriate to them. Nobody's telling you to use different pronouns. Right. Nobody's saying, call yourself a boy, even though you understand yourself to be a woman or a girl. They're just saying, hey, would you mind letting us know what pronouns to use when addressing you? We don't want to assume. We think it's a good corporate culture to have it as a sort of standard thing that everybody includes their pronouns in their bio or, you know, in their in their foot, you know, in the footer for their email. Right. Like I don't I mean, I grew up evangelical, I, I very evangelical. At no point do Same. I remember not telling people what my pronouns are being a part of the faith. It's a very strange position. I agree. It's strange. And it's like, okay, uh, you want to make this the mountain you want to die on? Okay. <laughs> Weird. Because if they say yes, they've just probably violated the Civil Rights Act. Um, if they say no, comparison. which is the right answer, then you might say, well, please don't ask me to violate mine. Mm -hmm. I'm here at this place quick. to work. And I think he really is just trying to set up another really quick gotcha moment. Like this, he's giving a tactic, a queen clean, quick tactic to Christians to use in the workplace, right? It's a quick, hey, do you think people should be required to violate their conscience? The obvious HR answer is always going to be no to that, despite the fact that if, who knows how people's consciences are formed, and if somebody's conscience told them to kill kittens, you would be told, no, you're not allowed to do that, right? right. Like, right. people's consciences are formed in all kinds of ways. So, of course, that's actually not the case. But it's a really, it's, I think, I really do think this one is just a straightforward, here's a little tidbit, he's throwing it out. Uh, Christians, you know, you go to a conference, it's the kind of thing that, again, as a youth group as a kid, you come home from the con conference with a, a quick, I'm going to use this the next time somebody says <laughs> yeah. this to me, right? <laughs> yeah, and also, I, I just want to point out, like, I was taught, again, I'm like you, Billy, I grew up very evangelical. I was taught that that love lays down their life, that love puts their preferences behind in front of other people, right? So even if this was for Frank, like a major issue, the Christian response to me is like, whatever I can do to show you that I love you, I'm going to be willing to do, even if for, it's inconvenient to me, which is literally just saying your pronouns. But for Frank, <laughs> it's no, our conscience, our rights, what we deserve. So it's a, for me, it's a very inverted way, I think, of behaving as a Christ follower, but that's just my take on it to uh, provide anything I can here for the company to succeed. Uh, I pledge that I'm gonna treat everybody with respect because they're made in the image of God. Uh, but we don't. that doesn't mean we have to agree on every moral or political issue. If that were the case, no company could come together because not everyone's gonna agree on every issue. Mm -hmm. So I would simply ask them that question that do you think you ought to try and and force somebody to violate their conscience. And if they say yes, they're in big trouble. If they say no, you could say, great, then don't ask me to violate mine. Uh, there's other questions you could ask as well, but that would be where I would go. And of course, mm -hmm. Greg in his book, Tactics, uh, says there's another question you can ask. Do you consider yourself a tolerant person, right? From a, from a, um, a personal perspective. And of course, they're gonna have to say yes. And then you can say, great, if I have a, a, an opinion on a controversial issue that 
is different from yours, you'll tolerate it. Opinion then, right? or objective mm -hmm. fact? Which okay. one is it, Frank? So you know, like... um, <laughs> I think just asking for tolerance, using their very phrases and their words can help them realize that what they're doing is wrong. That's why I asked the lady at Cisco, you know, mm -hmm. how do you define tolerance? How do you define he's diversity? An apologist, you define but he's talking tactics, not truth. I, this is, mm -hmm. it is actually starting to get troubling to me that he is, he, he has his doctrine in apologetics and apologetics. That's not a doctrine I like know a lot about, so I'm not going to comment on it, but that his interest seems to be in how to win little fights rather than on how to get at truth, even how to persuade people of what you believe to be true in a way that like is and should be compelling. I mean, in philosophy, right, it's persuasive talk a lot right. about the difference between like, if you convince somebody of, uh, by an argument that you don't actually think ought to, but you trick them, you're you're making the world worse. You're not making the world better, even though you've you've moved them over to your side of things. And it's really, I, as a Christian, it's kind of troubling that he seems more interested in this this tactics approach than in in deep conversations at, about truth. And as soon as they begin to define it, they're not going to be able to answer the question without contradicting themselves, mm -hmm. because that's what this is. Now, if people don't think this is forced upon you, you're you haven't realized what's going on at the federal level or in the state of California. Here we go. Mm -hmm. At the federal level on March 31st, and I document this in the book, Correct, Not Politically Correct, March 31st, 2022, President Biden came out on Trans Visibility Day uh, and talked about how trans people are brave and how they're made in the image of God. Of course, they're made in the image of God. Yeah. What he left out was the second part of the verse, that he made them male and female. Uh, and then his HHS department, Put out a memo we'll let it basically go for now. said yeah. that if you're a parent and your child identifies uh, as another gender and you do not affirm them with what is now called gender affirming care, a nice <laughs> phrase, um, the government may come and take that child from you. And, you know, in California, they just I think they just passed a bill that said that. Yeah. That the government yeah. can come into your home if your three year old girl thinks she's a boy and you don't affirm that. They're going to come and take that child from you, potentially. Yeah, okay, we ha we have slides now. Yeah. Okay, I've been <laughs> yeah, waiting to drop it. these slides. Like I'm like, what can I unleash them? Billy, yeah. I, I will be your slide person. You are the narrator. <laughs> Where would you like to start? And just to summarize, the claim from Frank is, hey, you don't think this is being forced upon you? Well, the government is willing to knock down your door and take your children away if you don't affirm them. And right. in Biden's Biden's liberal agenda is just coming for the kids. That's kind of like the 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 the, the take behind it. So go ahead. Right. No. So, I mean, I'm coming from a community that is very concerned that Biden's not doing enough for us. So I was really thrilled. I mean, I was really shocked, actually, honestly, when I heard that Biden had like passed some memo that secretly is going to make it to the government. Like, this was weird. And I had to look it up because I hadn't heard about it. And again, I, I think I keep my ear to, to, to the crowd. What's going on Right. Um, in the trans community? So I, I looked it up. He is talking. There's, there are two memos. In fact, uh, these federal memos that were released were released by different agencies. If you want to go to the NCTSN. Um, uh, OK. Um, uh, bit what uh which one is it sorry so uh there's the there's the sam hsa one and then there's the uh you can do either one of them actually i'll find it just sam you said nctsn is the one we're looking for right now okay i will find it in a second i'm going through all of them i label them very different for my own brain right no worries yeah now here i am it's got a blue top with a yellow yellow blobby on it too oh blue top got it so uh Sorry, dude. Hold on. No worries. Blue top. 
I got this one, the Ad Journal of Adolescent Health. That's not it. No, we're looking at gender-affirming care is trauma-informed care. Oh, okay. I know where that one is. Stress network. Okay, I can do this. I'm gonna. And this is this is really worth like looking into because of the. the it, it's really kind of revealing about how this works. How how being scared about this. This how one. Trying to make this. That's not the one. That's later. Dang on. it. Sorry. Gender from okay. care is trauma informed care by the National Child Trauma Traumatic Stress Network. I can actually. Maybe I didn't add this one. Can you? I think I might be able to. I've got a share screen button here. Let me see if we can do. Yeah, uh, give it a shot. Let's see here. That there it is. Let's see. Are we popped up here? Or could you have an option? Oh, yeah, I, I see. I can solo it. There we go. Perfect. Boom. Right, there we are. Look at that. Look at that. Okay. So the, the full wording um, of this, this, this memo that he's so really worried about, it says providing gender-affirming care is neither child mal maltreatment or malpractice. The child welfare system in the U.S. is uh, charged with improving the overall health and well-being of our nation's children and families should not be used to deny care or separate families working to make the best decisions for their family's well-being. This is the exact opposite of what Frank is going to claim this memo is saying. Mm. It's a, then it says, so after that, after establishing families shouldn't be separated because a parent, and by the way, they're saying because a parent is affirming. So they're saying don't separate families and they're, they're actually focusing, the, the context for this was the threat that um, families with trans kids would have the kids removed, right? This is what Texas was doing. Right. I was threatening to do, right? So this is the context in which the memo came out. And they're saying, don't, the federal government was saying, don't do that. And then they say, there's no scientifically sound research showing negative impacts from providing gender-affirming care. Hmm. The decision for the child welfare system to become involved in the lives of families, potentially to the extent of removing children from their families and homes, should be wielded with the utmost care, grounded in evidence, and always prioritizing the well-being of the children and preservation of families. So you can see, like, this is a memo that is saying, hey, don't pull kids out of families just because the family is affirming and is providing gender-affirming care to their trans kid. Right. right. And again, it was published in the context of... Of, of Texas literally threatening to take trans kids away from their affirming families. Right. That's the context that the government did this. Then, and I'm just going to, I'm going to do this next one here too, from uh, the America. So I, I had to figure this out. I went and I looked at, at Frank's book. What he, he, he cites. This one? The, yep. That's the one. He cites Rod Dreher in the American conservative citing the memo. I don't have any idea whether Frank has actually read the memo. Right. And what Rod does is really, really troubling. If you, oh, we kind of need to go a little bit further down on that one. Um, uh, oh, look at me. I'm a noob. I, do you have it on your end? I've got it on mine. Let's do mine again here. Goodbye. <laughs> and we, we, sw <laughs> we switched positions too on top of that. Okay. <laughs> we got there. We got there. That's weird. Okay. So you'll notice that they pick it up um, right at halfway through the paragraph. They pick it up. At, he, Rod cut out the part that says, don't separate kids from families if you at all can avoid doing it, mm. right? And it jumps straight to, there is no scientifically sound research showing negative impacts from preventing gender-affirming care, the decision. And then he gets really freaked out about this, the fact that they even bring up the possibility of separating a kid from their, their family. Even though the actual memo says, don't do this, he's saying, by bringing it up, they're threatening to do it. That's right. the entirety of what they're talking about. Right. So It's what, hogwash. Right, you know, it's exactly like what what Frank is worried about here is a memo that says the opposite of what he is saying should cause you to be worried. Right. And yeah. that's again from an apologist, that's concerning. I, I I don't want to speculate on how that happened, how much research was or wasn't done. Right. But it's concerning. 
Right. I think we should also go to the other one too, because he cites California yeah. as well, right? And I have that yeah, that one. I definitely do have. Uh, that is okay. right here. Boom. Yeah, All right. So. Yeah, right there. And I, again, I looked this, I actually commented underneath the original, like, um, uh, video because I was like, guys, if you just read it once, you'll see that this is not at all what, because Frank's claim is that the government in California can just knock down your door and take your kid away. That is not the circumstance. So do you want to go ahead and explain this? Sure. Yeah, no, this is a, this is a law in California. One, it hasn't passed yet, but, um, I think it's on the third reading. Yep. But again, all it does is it adds the question of affirmation to one of many factors right. that the state should consider when um, when custody has already been brought to the table, right? So right. It's already being disputed. Like divorce, right? Where there is an investigation on the basis of um, you know on the basis of abuse, right? There's an abuse investigation going on. Yes. When custody is now in question, this bill says affirmation is one thing among many that the state yes. should take into consideration. Right. Right. This is not saying anything like the, the state of California is going to come in and take your kids away if you're if they say they're trans and you don't give them you know, puberty. Blocks. Exactly. And it hasn't passed, to be very clear. And right. also, it makes a lot of sense that this would be something to consider. Right. Because if you're in a situation where one partner is being accused of abusing the children, right, the judge should be able to factor in, well, uh, is gender affirmation part of that? Because we know, and we'll get into the data on this in a little bit, we know that statistically the data as we know it is pretty clear that that gender affirmation greatly reduce, reduces the risk of, of self-harm and unaliving themselves, you know? And so that's yeah. an important factor in this. All right, anyway, shall we keep going through the video? Yeah, let's do it. This is madness, Melissa. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't care if you're a Christian or not. If you don't stand against that, um, you're, you don't know how to stand against evil. It's and amazing. Evil. It's yeah. not evil. Come into your house and take your child happening. away from you. And it's propaganda. And potentially give your child puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and maybe like, even surgery. Mm -hmm. Something, by the way, that's impossible, as I talk about in the book. You can change your mind. You can't change your, your gender. Yeah. It, it, it is mind-blowing to me that Frank can sit there with a straight face as someone who has done academic work and really think that he's being truthful in how he represents this. Either he did yeah. no research or he is pulling from the right-wing propaganda playbook, right? And this is very common. We hear all the time. They, they, they have this perception that there are places in America with seven-year-olds wrapped around the block who are just waiting to have bottom surgery. Like, that's what they think is happening. And right? it's not That's happening. True. Like, it's not. And the cases where someone under 18 has any kind of surgery are extremely rare and usually incredibly situational, you know? And so I think that's really important. Also, am I going, am I getting dizzy or did no, your camera No, I got blurry and I have no idea why. I don't know what happened here. I'm going to try to wow. play. Wow. Oh, there we go. Oh, there we go. I'm back. So, anyway. Oh, I'm um, all right, we'll keep going. It's impossible. It's in every one of your 100 trillion cells. You can change your mind but you can't change your biology. And yet that's what this entire movement is trying to do, change your biology. And the research shows that people that actually go through with the surgery, 10 years after the surgery have a suicide rate 19 times higher than the general public. Okay, you gotta, pause. You gotta pause him. Okay, so all of my trans friends who are watching this take a shot, he just brought up the Swedish <laughs> study. Every single one of them bring this up. It's exhausting. Um, I, I can't, like, I think, Trans people are exhausted by the Swedish study, but nobody is more exhausted by the Swedish study and this use of it than the author of the stupid study. I mean, because it, it's not even a bad study. This um, is the study, the one, right? Right? You're talking about this. This is the one. This is the. Uh, yep. Okay. Yeah. The the Dejne, 
um, study. So this is this is a study. It was done in what 2011, um, and it did measure the like long-term health impact, uh, mental health, you know, impacts, not impact of, but just the mental health status of trans people who had had surgery. Right. Mm -hmm. This is what it did, and it did find elevated um, risks of depression and unaliving um, compared to. And Frank does actually say this, which is interesting, compared to cisgender people, not compared to those same people prior to the to the to the surgery, because the actual information out there, I mean, the, the data is very clear that um, and we, we can bring some of these up if you wanted to. But like we'll get them, we'll get to them later, that transition care is actually really good for trans people's mental health. Right. Transitioning is actually quite good for us. Mm. Um, <clears throat> It doesn't disconfirm that. In fact, uh, if we want to go to it, the the poor the poor researcher who has done this is this one. This one. That's one of the, it's one of the two. Um, Cecilia Dejeuner has so many times had to debunk conservative or anti-trans misuses of her study. She has mm. it's it's she constantly is having to say, look. No, that's not what I said. I think there's one that uh, it's a trans advocate. It's an interview with her and the trans advocate. Yeah, uh, that's I, the one, this right one, there. right? Yeah. Yep. Where she says it's really frustrating. I've even seen professors use my work to support ridiculous claims. I've often had to respond myself. She cites that having to post article. That was that one that we just had up. Um, and you know, she she's exasperated. So the study's author is on the record many times saying this is a misuse. If you are saying if you are trying to use my study to suggest that transition makes trans people more likely to be to want to self-harm um to unalive themselves to be depressed you are misusing my study you are misunderstanding it that is not it's not just i'm pro-trans and so i don't want you using it that way she's saying you don't understand it you are saying the opposite of what it says hmm. there you go Let's but it won't moving. paul McHugh used it years ago in his american college of pediatrics article and now everybody cites it it's in government things now being misused yeah. it's terrible yeah. yeah, this is after the surgery. They have a honeymoon period where they feel better. But mm -hmm. then later on at the 10 year mark, all proverbial hell breaks loose. And tragically, the suicide rate is 19 times higher than the general public. Why? Because we've tried to treat a mental condition with surgery. You mm -hmm. can't do that mm -hmm. in most cases. You don't treat mental delusions with surgery. You treat it with psychiatry, with with a cognitive therapy, with counseling, with prayer. You don't treat it with surgery and yet Can that's I, just, the, I have to say the road interrupt me as much as you want this is the meat and potatoes right here no yeah and this is this is not a like a statistics thing this is how this works thing right so the diagnosis that many trans people have not all of us right is gender dysphoria that's the thing he has to be talking about if he's talking about a mental condition that's the thing that i am diagnosed with for instance right is, is gender dysphoria gender dysphoria is the experience of extreme discomfort, of dysphoria, of, of you know, this sort of misery, stress that comes from a misalignment between your gender and your you know, physical sex, your body, right? Those two things are misaligned, right? It is ridiculous to say that you can't treat the suffering that comes from a misalignment by correcting the misalignment. And that's what he's trying to say here. He's saying, we're, mm. you know, because again, he, I think what he's, I suspect, the yeah. way he's try, trying to riff off of is the fact that earlier, before there was as much scientific study done, they didn't use gender dysphoria as the as the um, treatment as, sorry, as the as the diagnosis. They used um, what they called uh, gender identity disorder. 
So he would say that me thinking myself, understanding myself to be a woman is a mental disorder. It's not scientifically, legally, at any level, the DSM-5 would not say that. In the psychological community, what I have been diagnosed with is just the suffering that comes from a misalignment. It is not from, it's not, there's nothing wrong with me understanding myself to be who I am. Hmm. Um, but he does, he's not acknowledging that in his clever little quippy analysis. And I'm sorry, it, it felt clever and quippy, quippy rather than- It honest. almost feels like what you're saying is um, if two magnets are repelling against each other, flip one over so they attract. Um, yep. But Frank's response is, no, just keep pushing. And eventually, yep, push. eventually they'll touch. It's like, well, they really won't, no matter how much hard you push. Is that kind of a fair like way of phrasing it? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Nice Thank you, Billy. I appreciate that. That was off the fly. That was well done. <laughs> All right, here we, we go. Why? <laughs> Cha-ching. You can see how much money is involved here. Oh, um, the money the thing. Way, point out in the book, nobody oh. ever completely transitions. They have to get a lifetime of hormones to try and artificially force their body to go in a direction the body is not meant to go. Okay, I have, I so know, this, friends, I know we're stopping piece by piece. I know we're like two hours in. Thank you for being there. But you understand that we have to unpack piece by piece because there's so much misinformation. This is such a weaponization of a problem that many progressives and liberals have been calling out for decades okay i remember when i was 18 watching a documentary on the problem of the pharmaceutical industry okay and how how they price gouge and the greediness i remember thinking to myself wow like these insurance companies charge so much money and profit billions of dollars on our healthcare system and the people who were so focused on no we need the free market to solve the problem now are turning around and weaponizing the exact problem that I don't think, Billy, you would disagree with at all, the for-profit medical industry and saying, and this is why there's this trans craze because the medical industry is greedy. Which again, when you think about it, makes oh no sense because A, trans folks are a minority minority, statistically speaking, of the population. So it's not very common that you're doing any type of actual surgery. Let's just start right there on most people um, for this for this particular situation and b if you do do surgeries matt walsh calls you out and you get firebombed verbally with bomb threats okay oh, yeah. so let's just stop pretending that there's some like dark cabal who's like oh you know how we make more money as a medical community we push this trans craze through people so that way they they pay us more money that is ridiculous the second you think through all the logical steps no absolutely and i mean the thing is, we have to, we'll have to do it another time, but the, the history of the trans rights movement is a history of us fighting tooth and nail to be given access to transition healthcare with the medical establishment fighting against us. Like mm. it's, it's, it's a history of trying to, over, to deal with this problem of gatekeeping for our, our basic healthcare. And we finally got there. And so to argue that like this is some secret that the medical community has been pushing so they can sell more estrogen is, is just ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's, and it just flies completely in the face of like actual history and how things have gone. And, and I don't want to speak too binary, but also if any doctor that would speak out against 
you know, some kind of medical intervention is then platformed by these people. So now we trust the medical community. So on one hand, the medical community is bad and greedy and trying to trans people. On the other hand, there are some who are saying the right thing. So it's not, it's not as wide as you might think. It's like, I can't keep up. Like I, is it good or bad? Uh, anyway, let's, let's keep it moving. We'll keep it moving. Sheesh. On and on and on. It, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a boon to the medical community because they make all sorts of money. But the uh, people that actually go through it, it actually doesn't solve the problem. You can believe uh, what you want, but mm -hmm. you can't change what's true. That's right. Yeah. And that's what they're trying to do is through this whole intolerance and inclusion and diversity uh, language Gosh. by saying, hey, you know, you're, this is inclusive language. This is diverse language. Use this language. And without really realizing it, you've, you, you've agreed to and undergirded this sort of movement. And I think that's one reason and one way that they, they've kind of gotten into that. And another thing you talk about is uh, the government coming for our children. You've talked about this. Uh, really quick because we didn't touch on it, but just to be clear, and Billy, I think you, that you you gave me some of these slides, but people who statistically um, transition medically very rarely regret their transition. Is that correct? Oh, very rarely. Yeah. Do we want to do that? I mean, I, I can. We can talk. While about we're here, let's just knock it out. Yeah. Sure. Let's let's hit some of these. Um, here we. Uh, that's the mental out. It's not this one, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Um, okay. I mean, there, I, I threw a bunch of them at you because this is just a thing. Um, Right. So, yeah, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that um, that transition is m immensely beneficial to um, to trans people's health, um, at least for those that ask for it. Again, depending on what your gender, in fact, is, these things can be complicated. Right. Of course. Um, but right. So, I mean, every time they've been studying, every time they've studied it recently, they keep finding massive, massive benefits to um, to the mental health of trans people who transition, right? So this one is, oh uh, yeah, this one's from, um, uh, this is the Journal of American, of the American Medical Association. Right. Um, right, and this is the one that has, it's a 60% uh, decreased chances of depression and a uh, 70, sorry, 73% lower chance of, uh, you know, of suicide, right? right. Like, it's, it, that's enormous. And if you, if you were told that you had yeah, a way to one. decrease your, your child's suicidality by 70%, right. who would jump on it? Right, like no, totally. Jump on it. Was um, this the other one that we're talking about too? This is a good one from yeah. The this is this is a write up in Scientific American, which I thought was valuable just because they combined like it was one of the, every so often somebody goes through and combines almost all of the studies to find out like what's the, mm. the general trend here. So this is a, this is this is, you look at a whole you combine a bunch of studies and you get over thirty thousand transgender and gender diverse people who have positive health outcomes from being provided with gender affirming care, uh, medical right. care. Yep. It, and then it's not close. And this is this one thing. too, like, right? Yeah, this is, uh, is this, there's, there's one that I really was hoping we could highlight. Um, this one's good though. Um, oh, wait, is this one I'm thinking of? Oh yeah, no, this is, so this one's great because this is, this is, this is actually, this is the thing that they were saying is the slippery slope. This is just about how this, this one shows that if you just call a trans kid by their chosen name, you will increase their mental health. Wow. Right? Like just just doing the name. This isn't even getting into the to the healthcare part of it. This isn't getting into like puberty blockers, any of that stuff. Again, so again and again and again and again, every time they measure this, they find that affirming trans people and who we are, whether that's medically or socially, leads to improved mental health outcomes for trans people. Was there another one you want, you want me to share before we move on? That I'm, um, I there's have? one if I can I can find it um, from 
from the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, from 2016, which again puts it in that range of studies that Frank absolutely should know about. Um, the, it's, uh, the title of the, of the article is Mental Health of Transgender Children Who Are Supported in Their Identities. Um, uh, all right. Let me take a look here. And uh, while you're looking one. for it. Yeah, go ahead. To my mind, this is one of the most striking ones and one that I always try to bring up because their findings were they, they studied um, children who are trans and gender diverse. Hmm. And they found that trans and gender diverse children who were affirmed in their identities had mental health issues at the same rate as their cis peers. That is to say that all of the sort of comorbidities, all the things that people blame for transness uh, went away. They were, wow. these kids were just as mentally healthy as their peers if you just affirmed them in their in their gender identities wow. and supported them. Wow, great. Let's keep going. Before. We're almost done, almost and, there. Uh, you just kind of flat out come out and say, yeah, the government says they're coming for your kids. I'm wondering if you talk more about that. <laughs> Because you and I, before we got on, and this is um, um, one thing I really wanted to pick your, your mind about, and I waited until mm -hmm. we're online to talk about mm -hmm. it, but uh, you watched, what, what is the name of the Oh, here movie? we go. Crazy town. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I just heard the interview the that interview. Jordan, That's right. Jordan Peterson had with oh. Tim Ballard and Jim Caviezel. There's a new movie called Red Sound Fly. of Freedom. Yes. Yeah. July 4th. Red Believe Fly. it or not, this small movie put up by Angel Studios, the same people that put out The Chosen. Mm -hmm. The movie, despite the fact being in 2,000 fewer theaters, grossed more than the Indiana Jones movie the first mm -hmm. day it came out. Yes. Because Jim Caviezel plays this guy, Tim Ballard. Tim Ballard was with the Department of Homeland Security and uh, for a while was going out and trying to rescue kids who had been kidnapped into the sex, uh, the sex industry, the, 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 the trading, the sex trafficking of children. And he ultimately gave up his, his government job to do this privately and uh, started Underground Railroad, I think it is, in any event. Uh, this uh, this pod really quick. You you notice how we're moving now from being trans to now protecting children from human trafficking, right? Like yeah. like like the the this is like the next evolution because for them this is all linked. You know, if you are queer to them, you are just like one one thread away, one step away from trying to abuse, hurt, traffic children. And now is this is yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just saying like, and it's really worth like I think for watching this stuff you really have to keep in mind that the only link they've made is slippery slope. They have, they, they, they have yes. not established any kind of actual link between any of this stuff. I think that's really important to mention. And this is friends that we're, we have about eight minutes left in this interview. So we're almost there, but this is when this conversation for me goes off the rails. Like now we're in the land of, well, I'll just play the video and you get to watch. Yes, you have to listen to. It's the Jordan Peterson podcast. I'll and leave a link in the description. Yeah, you can't unhear it. That's the problem. Once you hear it, the kind of horrific things that are going on with regard to uh, sex trafficking. And uh, Tim in this podcast talks about one of the problems that we're experiencing in America. First of all, there's a big demand, believe it or not, for pedophilia in America. Okay, we have to stop right here because there are a lot of things that are true at one time. Number one, the trafficking of children is abhorrent, it is real, it happens, and it is bad. Let's just get that out of the way right now. 
we obviously should all be aligned that we stand against the trafficking of human beings for sexual exploitation, for labor, etc. Me, you, Frank, and Melissa would all say a thousand trillion percent that's without you know, compromise. Okay, that, that is a black and white thing. It can also be true that conspiracy theories use a hint of truth to then spin outrageous things that then become very harmful. And we're about to witness how a good thing of we should not be for this, we should be fighting this, is used as a drop of truth to then promote things that actually, according to actual organizations that you know are either government or actual nonprofits that, that do this stuff, end up harming the work of, the, of people working to rescue kids from trafficking. Keep that in mind as we go through this. And I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna explain why as we go through. Uh, but one of the big problems is the erosion of the moral codes that mm-hmm. uh, have made their way into the schools. We're now, we're, we're now teaching kids they can be any gender they want. Um, we're, we're, we're telling kids they can transition all this feeds right into this what's up we're telling kids they can be any gender that they are we're telling kids that who they are is who they can be we're not saying here's a smorgasbord pick right right and also we should mention here this is important so this organization that or this movie that that, that they're promoting two things you should know number one the main actor jim caviezel i think is his name uh has actually pushed some blatant conspiracy theories that are QAnon adjacent we'll get into that in a minute but also you should know this friends this is the organization that they are promoting now this is why this is important for me melissa is very passionate about fighting new age beliefs in the church. She's very passionate about about staying away from the occult and witchcraft. The organization that they are saying is doing this amazing work, Operation Underground Railroad, actually used a psychic to try and locate children. This completely defies Melissa's own, and also for the record, my belief system when it comes to trying to rescue kids. And you can read the whole article here. It's 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 not a secret. The other thing I want to mention, and um, again, we'll get into this a little bit more later on, is that when it comes to um, when it comes to the organization that is Operation Underground Railroad, oops, uh, Underground Railroad, they are incredibly slimy with their money. So keep that in mind, and we'll keep going. And um, so does pornography, quite obviously. And Tim makes the connection in this podcast, so I'll leave the remaining comments for him. He okay. is, he's a modern-day hero when you read about what he's done. He gave up his government job, had six kids of his own, to try and save a whole bunch of kids who were being trafficked. Mm-hmm. And uh, now he runs this ministry to continue to do that. That is a very loose telling of the story, because according to Ministry Watch, we have it right here, um, the Operation Underground Railroad, that's what Tim started, has been... Come, it's come under fire for actually soaking up a lot of money. Uh, they have more than $80 million in assets in just a few uh, few short years here. They profit millions of dollars as a nonprofit. That's a big no-no. You have to have a certain ratio of what you're spending your actual money on for the sake of your donors. Um, and I'll just say that there are other articles that bring into question how effective their ministry is. And if it's more about being sensationalized to try and fit into this Hollywood-esque version of like the 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 taken vigilante, you know, like my kid was taken by traffickers, I have to go overseas and rescue him versus actually doing good work. And again, I won't get into the details on that, but this organization has come under fire many times for not being very effective. And I think that's very important to, to recognize as we're going through this i can say because i did actually because i was curious i went and watched that video the the jordan peterson one he um he actually does claim the 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 tim ballard does actually claim that he's better off now than he was 
prior to quitting his government job. He cites it as evidence that like God was behind this and the whole time and that it was mm. the right decision. Right. So he, mm. he first sort of frames it as I was very, very sacrificial. I gave up a huge pension to do this, but then he comes back and he says, and because I did it now, I'm even better off than I would have been if I hadn't quit my government job. So he's, I mean, it makes he's sense. His organization has millions of dollars in assets, $80 million. That's, that's quite a success. Yeah. Here's, here's one of the problems. And we know this scripturally. Mm-hmm. That sexual sin in particular leads you into more and more uh, horrific kinds of behavior. Not always. Let me just put it this way. Not everybody who gets involved in sexual immorality obviously becomes a pedophile. But mm-hmm. the people that do become pedophiles, they start small. They start with um, just normal pornography and they start going down a road to where, as Paul talks about it in Romans chapter one, if you suppress the truth long enough about God and start getting involved in sexual immorality, Mm -hmm. he's going to give you up to a futile mind to the point where you're not only doing evil, you're cheering on other people who are doing evil. I really yeah, wish he, that I really wish that Frank and Melissa would start talking about the widespread church abuse, the story after story of pastors who are either found years later or who are currently in prison for essaying children, for essaying women. I wish that he would bring up the Southern Baptist Convention of hiding for over a decade, uh, countless examples of, of accusations of abuse. But instead, here we are trying to equate that if you're queer, you're more likely to become someone who wants to abuse children, which, I mean, there are studies on this. That is not a thing. Um, And also, I would like to point out as well that, um, you know what? I lost my train of thought. So, Billy, you you can take over because I just forgot what I was going to say. All I had to add was that he, um, I mean, this is honestly, this is just warmed over Silence of the Lambs horribleness, Hmm. Uh, right? The idea that there is, that if you let transness go far enough, it's going to turn into something evil, sadistic, and horrible, right? Yes. I think it plays on the sense of, like, a lot of cis people have a sense of the trans as a little bit alien, a little bit other, and a little bit hard to understand. Totally. And that can be scary enough that you can start, you say, well, oh, imagine if it was even more. And of course, it's going to be more because this person already went that far away from your your view of the world. So maybe, you know, and it's, it's really honestly just scaremongering. And it's, I want to say it's not worthy of him, but I don't know enough about Frank. Well, and then what they'll do is they use antidotal evidence to back up their claim, right? Like, obviously, people, trans or not, can do horrible things, like, including to children. And there are examples of that happening. That does not somehow mean, though, that 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 because you're trans, you're automatically more prone to that. Just like how I would never say if you're a pastor, you're automatically more prone to abusing kids, even though we have many more, I would argue, examples of that happening, right? That's not a fair comparison. I don't think being a pastor makes you intrinsically um, someone who wants to abuse children. And that goes for anything else that you are in life. Yeah. I mean, to disprove his claim, you'd have to find, somehow find that, like, find every sex pervert and find out that, like, none of them had done anything and, and get involved, gotten involved with anything else he saw as non-normative, which is ridiculous, right? Like, people right. have a lot of complicated interests. Yes. Yes. It, it, yes. He's making these sort of unfalsifiable claims that sound good to people who want to believe them. Yeah. And so the people that do become pedophiles progressively go down or let's say regressively (laughs) go down a road from pornography to child pornography to actually being engaged in the kind of behavior I don't even want to talk about. And when you listen to this podcast, as I say, you, you can't unhear it. Some of the things that are going on Mm -hmm. and uh, for us to just wink at this and go, Oh, this is no big deal. Let's just keep moving the sexual lines. You know, what's coming next for, 
um, approval in our country. We've gone from yeah, we know what you're going to say. Uh, we know I mean, this is going way back to okay. Now uh, premarital sex is fine. Now homosexuality is fine. Now transgenderism is fine. What do you think's coming next? Pedophilia. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> yeah. Now the pedophiles are are calling okay. themselves minor attracted persons, right? Mm-hmm. They have to make it sound good rather than what it is. And uh, so now when the government's involved mm-hmm. to try and say this is a good thing, not the pedophilia, but the transgenderism and that we need to, I mean. What's up? I So I, there's a lot. I, one, again, he's sexualizing trans people in a way that I find really upsetting, mm. um, right? Like being a lesbian is part of my sexuality and I'm not for a second gonna throw my cis queer siblings under the bus. But being trans is not about my sexuality outside of like it kind of affects it because of it affects where I'm coming from. Um, but like we ha- there are ace, like there are asexual trans people, right? Like it's not right. actually, so he's doing this, it ju- he just means creepy. And that's, that's really troubling. Like for that logic to play out that like transness is somehow more sexual than gay and lesbian and bi and panness. He's really just trying to sexualize us. And it's, sorry, I just find it really disturbing. No, I agree. And I do want to point out that, that again, I, I know I mentioned this quick uh, earlier, but just, just to be very clear about this, Frank is really peddling. He's really flirting with some conspiracy theory talking here. Um, this is um, the main actor in this movie, The Sound of Freedom, uh, Jim Caviezel. He played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. This guy pushes QAnon conspiracy theories consistently. You see this term here, adrenochrome. This is a big thing in the QAnon world. Adrenochrome is essentially an oxygenized form of adrenaline, but people like Jim paint this picture that there is a deep state cabal that needs the adrenaline from children to be harvested to produce this that gives you young life. It's been debunked a thousand ways to Sunday, but this is where Jim is coming from when he makes movies like this. He's thinking about this deep state issue. I'm not sure if you were aware, folks who are watching this, of uh, Pizzagate a couple years ago, where there was a, a, a rumor going around that there was a pizza parlor in D.C. that people like Hillary Clinton and other people people uh, were, were using as like a main spot to traffic kids through. It got so bad that someone showed up with a gun to blow the, the, the lock off a door and to get to the basement. Turns out there was no basement and that person actually came there with the gun and actually did that. And it wasn't there. And the last thing I want to show you all, just to remind you about how conspiracies work. Remember Wayfair? <coughs> Remember when there was a rumor going around that, oh my God, these cabinets are priced so high. It's code for trafficking children. Well, if you Google it, you can still find high priced cabinets from Wayfair. Here's one for $8,000. Okay. Is anyone now talking about, oh my God, Wayfair is still trafficking kids? No, because now Jim and the QAnon world have moved on to a different conspiracy. You're always moving the goalposts because if you were consistent, you would say, look, this is still happening. Look, everyone, there are cabinets being sold, but no one cares about it anymore even though these cabinets still exist so i just want to point out like this is the world that frank is dipping toes into and this the reason why people have asked me like crazy tim what's up with this movie sound of freedom the reason why it hasn't been well received by most people is because it's QAnon adjacent and it presents a very 
um, hyperbolic extreme example of what this guy Tim actually does that ends up hurting people ultimately. That's the problem with it. Um, and it once again shows the connection. This has been proven. I've interviewed many people, including Jared Stacy, who have done the work. There is definitely a link between the evangelical industrial complex and culture and then being more susceptible to conspiracy theories last stat i'll give you during the 2020 election 25 percent of white evangelicals believe that joe biden was not the true president the highest group out of any religious demographic to believe that so yes this is a problem in evangelical spaces okay i'm done <sighs> Most almost done so friends talk about this stuff yeah, but when, you, when you when you have atheists like bill maher like Richard Dawkins. I, I, I mean, you can respond if you want, Billy, but like, Dawkins you know, said, I'm yeah. sorry. It's like he's surprised that there's been atheists who like trans people from the beginning. Um, this yeah, is exactly. Bill Maher brilliantly. Right, in a, exactly. In a, a show he did back in May of 2022 called yeah, Along for the Pride, interesting. pointed out how this whole transgender craze is social media driven. And uh, he said, look, kids go through phases. Uh, he, he said, if everyone knew what they wanted to be when they were eight, the world would be filled with princesses and cowboys, yeah, but I it's not. That. And he said, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a pirate. Thank God nobody took me seriously and took me for eye removal and peg leg surgery. Right. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he you want to respond to that problem, or no? And tragically, most American pastors are silent on the issue. Yeah. All right, fine. Mm -hmm. How can you be silent on this stuff when kids are, are being mutilated? When, when, when this feeds the whole sex trafficking industry. There it is. How can you be silent on this? There it is. Okay. That's okay, the right. connection right there. I'll give it to Billy. Uh, I'll give it to you in just one second. But that, that is the connection, friends. There it is. If, if, if kids are being trans, that's their language, they are going to be, they're part of the, of the deep state circuit to become easier, uh, more easy, uh, more trafficked, more easier. Is that even a yep. word? I don't know. You, you, you take over. Nice late. Um, no, I, what struck me, and I, maybe he's about to say it, maybe I kind of missed the moment. What broke, like, I don't know, what's like left of a little bit of evangelical kid in me, it's like heart, is this place where he is, you know, he says, I'm, I'm more ashamed of pastors that aren't calling out transness than I am of like Bill Maher. And there is like some like teenage kid in me screaming about like, I, what, what is the gospel to you anymore? Right. right. Like, what does he even understand the gospel to be? And he's an apologist. Um, and it's, you know, that's not to try to enter all the way back in. I'm, I'm post-evangelical by a long shot. I'm an Anabaptist. But they're so far from their own sort of stated core beliefs at this point. It just hurts a little bit to see. I have to agree. I mean, this is, I think a lot of us, when we left the evangelical world or, or when we saw Red Alarm or, or, or Red, you know, um, Alarms going off. Oh, God, red lights going off. Sheesh, I am tired. It's been a long one. But, you know, we were alarmed by what we saw, right? And here we are. And I'm like, guys, you know, you taught me that, like, these are the non-negotiables, like faith in Jesus, maybe the Trinity, virgin birth, physical resurrection. I affirm all of these. But because we are inclusive, we're suddenly not Christian anymore. Because someone is trans, they're therefore, like, what part of the deep state cabal? Like, what gospel are you talking about? What Bible are we reading? What orthodoxy are we drawing from? Because trans people aren't in <laughs> they're not in the orthodox creeds like you have to be trans or not it's not there you know it's like it's not it's not it's just like yeah it, anyway it is very no, interesting it, to watch it is also worth highlighting that at this point in the video and he's like 40 minutes in or whatever right 
yeah. he never he always he was only arguing for like the whole like preparing kids to be trafficked thing by a kind of implication and slippery slope and you're shaping the culture in this way but now he just incorporated it in as part of his argument right he's trying to make this argument about what church leaders should be doing right. he just acted as though it were proved when up until now he has very carefully been saying like it suggests or it could be or it like and that's 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 slippery like that's that's yes that's the kind of thing we need to watch out for by the way, just so we all know, statistically, a child is most likely to be assaulted by someone that they know, yeah. someone that they're in proximity to consistently. And I promise you, most kids, first off, are not in proximity alone with strangers or drag queen story. Our parents are there, right? To this day, there has not been one example of a child being abused during drag queen story hour. However, there have been countless examples of people in positions of spiritual authority using that power to harm and abuse children. So we just have to be honest here. Like they, this, this is a very, and again, we were clear earlier to re repeat trafficking of anyone, especially children is horrific and bad and should be stopped. If you take that seriously, you go where the data leads and the data suggests, and there are studies on this, that the most likely culprit is someone that they know um, or being in the foster care system. And ironically, for these people, I actually have the, um, do I have it pulled up here? I know I had it. Oh, there, I pulled up a whole article, a whole study that showed that that some of the highest, highest risk of, of being trafficked are queer youth who are unsheltered, who have lost their family. They end up on the streets and they end up some, uh, very, I'm not sure it's often, but it's not uncommon for them to end up trafficked. So here we are, here's Frank and Melissa doing everything they can to advocate for why society should not accept queer youth or to make them assimilate into their version of Christianity, which is actually creating a cycle that actually harms those youth and puts them in a position to end up in this version of trafficking that they, that they think that, that, that they think is happening in the public school system. Yeah. That's when you think about it, it's wild. If you can create the problem and then complain about it, it's a win-win. That's yeah. a cynical take, but yeah, it is what it, it is. Newsflash. The whole everything's political now, and it's not mm -hmm. because Christians made it political. Do you know in Canada the Bible's <laughs> political now? That you can't preach certain Bible. Verses. I gotta let it go. I gotta oh, let it go. It's ridiculous. We'll be here all day. Pastors, are you gonna stand up? Or are you gonna He's talking about no, James Coates. Can't oh. talk about that either. Jesus. Yeah. Richard Dawkins, Bill Maher, uh, Douglas it's a fire Murray, hose. It's a fire Dave hose. Rubin. Watch these these guys. Like Murray and and Rubin identify as gay themselves, and they're coming out against this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was just on Dave's show uh, just a week or two ago, mm -hmm. and uh, I have more respect for him than some American pastors who are silent. What, what are you That's doing? You're, you're not talking about this? I mean, you, 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 know, you know it from a biblical perspective that mm -hmm. you're going you're gonna to be able to save people from, uh, by warning them about this. You can know from a philosophical perspective this thing is contradictory. In fact, let me just give you a couple of points on this. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh. The people who are for transgender ideology contradict themselves because on one hand, they say there are no fixed genders that, you know, you can just you can, there's a there's a blend. You can just do whatever you want. Right. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, they unwittingly presuppose there are fixed genders. Yeah. Yeah. Because, look, if I'm a man and I think I'm a woman, I have to have some idea what a man is and some idea what a woman is to know I have mm -hmm. this mismatch between my psychology and my biology. 
Also, if I want to make the so-called transition, which of course is impossible, as we mentioned, you can't change your 100 trillion cells. But if I want to try, I have to have some idea what a man is and some idea what a woman is Mm -hmm. in order to make the transition. So on one hand, they're saying, oh, there are no fixed genders. On the other hand, they have to presuppose fixed genders for transgender for transgenderism to even be possible. Mm -hmm. Secondly, nature. You you want to stop right there? Yeah, he doesn't. He's not even using the term fixed genders in a way that makes any sense. I don't even I, can, I, I watched this a bunch of times trying to figure out what exactly he's trying to say here in order to establish his his conflict. So let me just kind of say where trans people are. I mean, you know, we have different ideas about the world. I have a gender. I have a sex I was assigned at birth. They aren't the same. They're both like real in the sense that they affect my life. They are things I experience. They are things that everybody ex- experiences and like agender people it's a little bit different my gender and my sex didn't align there is a gender that de- generally does align with that sex and i transitioned because i want my gender to align with the sex of, with, you know with my sex that's pretty straightforward like again there are two things and i brought them into alignment neither one is fake they're just different things that's not complicated i don't think I think what Frank is saying, here's how here's what I heard. He's telling me what you think, is that yeah. I think what he's saying is, okay, if, if if gender is the spectrum and you know it's and someone's gender can express beyond what their sex assigned at birth would say, um, and at the same time, culture, you know, enforces gender stereotypes, what's the basis for how you you know for um someone aligning their gender like like what's the foundation of what makes a woman a woman gender wise then does that does that make sense like that's what I'm, yeah. i think he's trying to say that's yeah. kind of what i got out of it yeah then i think he's just wrong in saying that trans people don't believe that gender is real um mm. there we all have a lot of different spaces uh, yeah. and ways that we understand like ask a bunch of cis women what it means to be a woman and you're going to get a lot of different answers. Ask a bunch of cis men. That's always what, uh, the, the, the response I always want to have for the Matt Walsh question is, Matt, what's a man? Um, and how is he going to define that in a way that doesn't define certain men that he would want to say are men out of the category? Well, that, you know, it's funny because I think about that too. I'm like, I'm like, well, when you really think about it, like what, what how, do you, how do we define men? And I think, listen, there are definitely, I guess people would say, well, it's biological. I think, I think that's what happens, right? Because people like Frank, I think they see sex and gender as one of the same. Like there's no separation, right? So if you have certain genitalia, that automatically tells us who you are, period. And you can't ever change that. That's why the male-female dichotomy in, in that in the Genesis account is so important to this argument, right? Because, oh, the biology is clear, therefore the gender is clear, as opposed to them being maybe separate and at times not aligned. But you'll notice that throughout this thing, he has used procreation as the gender determinative thing. Um, He's implied that it is based on something like genitals. Um, He's insisted, because he keeps saying that you can't change your gender, that it's actually, I think he's referencing chromosomes, it's in every cell in your body, that kind of a thing. Right. right. So which one of those is it? Is it a combination? Because intersex people are going to become a really big problem. He just ignores their existence, um, which is itself a problem. I, even if you try to reduce it all to sex, the fact is it just the world is more beautifully complicated. Like God yeah. made a more fascinatingly diverse world than he seems to want to admit. Right. And that doesn't have anything to do with the fact that um, most people have a sense you know, that every culture builds a way that let's say male persons generally uh, live out and experience their gender, the way they do it, perform it culturally, 
and and all the rest of the genders like uh, multiple cultures have more than two genders um but they have different ways that people perform those genders and you're going to say hey look this is actually more natural to me right yeah. i find that this aligns for me better than that aligns for me this is what yeah. makes me actually understand my experience myself as a whole person yeah so no there's not a contradiction and he's really just he, what he's doing is he's equivocating i think you're right he's equivocating between sex and gender and then he's refusing to acknowledge that they're different and then highlighting the fact that trans people are treating them as different because we do treat them as different right there's only two genders oh Look, what a marathon all mammals can produce only one of two things either a sperm or an egg now there's, there's no, no third category you can't produce a third thing Mm -hmm. And if you can't produce either, that's an incapacity. That's not a third capacity. So there are only two genders. See, that's what I was and saying. He can, are trying to say for him, sex and gender genders. are one of the on same. On one hand, they're trying to say that. On the other hand, transgenderism wouldn't be possible uh, if there weren't fixed genders. So mm -hmm. it's internally contradictory. And as you know, people who consider themselves LGBTQ have are at a bit of they're in a bit of a civil war because if the T's get their way, Melissa, that there are yeah. no fixed genders, the L's, the G's, and the B's don't exist. Look, how yeah. can you be lesbian, gay, or bisexual if there are no fixed genders? Exactly. Those genders presuppose, so does heterosexuality, presuppose fixed mm -hmm. genders. And the feminists aren't happy either because yeah. if there are no genders, there are no women. If there are no women, there are no women's rights. This is why yeah. J.K. Rowling, yeah. who is probably generally liberal politically, has come mm -hmm. out and said, I'm sorry. You're racing women by this whole transgender movement. Mm -hmm. And she's right. Yeah, this is, mm -hmm. So she, this is the whole attempt. This is the whole attempt for conservative Christians to make sort of common cause with TERFs. Um, and it's it's pretty gross. It's really reductive of women. I mean, in order for it to work, you have to reduce women to reproductive roles. And that's kind of the opposite mm -hmm. of what feminism is meant to do. Right. Um, but he, yeah, he's he's throwing, he's kind of trying to throw everything in the baby at this point. Um, Got it. At his own more four minutes, friends. Four guys. minutes. We're almost there. Yeah. No, it's really interesting that you you kind of call that out, them out on that because I think there's there's an element of you know, and I've kind of been researching this myself, but you know, like the this model a lot of churches have mm. has a lot to do with melt needs, not yeah. necessarily preaching theology and the gospel because the offense that it brings. You got to keep this that is where the reform. So I think that's part of it. This is where some of that reformed kind of theology starts showing through Melissa, at least, you know, like, oh, well, if it offends you, it's your problem, not our problem kind of thing. So anyway, yeah. it is what it is. The culture, like the American gospel culture, so to speak, I think is uh, part of it. She's referencing uh, the documentary, no, The American you're Gospel. On. I think that uh, it's really interesting because, you know, the algorithm on YouTube People might complain about it. I, I like it. <laughs> um, it puts videos like this in front of people's eyes that might be interested in it. But everything you just said about, you know, the like there are lesbians that are angry. There are gay men that are angry, you know, about this, uh, the ideology that's coming along and they're getting lumped in it. And there's these YouTubers that come up in my algorithm that said exactly what you just said. Uh, mm. that they are in agreement with us that they're like, do we just not exist? You know, um, and it's really interesting to, to hear their perspective on that, that there is a civil war going on and they're upset about what goes on at pride parades. And they're like, why are we bringing kids into this? You know, like we never wanted we, this. We yeah. know about kids and screamers. Like we know that that group exists. Right, they're right. really excited yeah, I, about it, but we've yes. known about them. It's a problem. I, 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 I've met them. They're at, they're at yeah. Turning Point America Fest. Also, I should mention that at a pride parade, 
the only people bringing their kids are parents. Like, like we're not harvesting children or bringing them to a parade. Like, parents bring their kids. And listen, there we live in a free society. There are things that I would put my kids in front of things that I wouldn't, regardless of, of the sexual expression of that thing, you know? Um, I probably wouldn't bring my 10-year-old my to um, a Lady Gaga concert for me. I just don't think it's appropriate for his age, right? But if some other parent brought, brought her kid to that, eh, it's not my life to live. I don't think it's grooming, right? And so what that that's the difference is like, parents will have different thresholds what they think is appropriate for their children, as long as, you know, we're within like, the, not seriously harming kids, obviously, but, but right. there's a pretty big spectrum there. And parents have a right to do that, despite what you might or might not think um anyway end of rant there no, this was not the intent and all of a sudden it just everybody's going after the children trying to wow. i want to say it's Who? a strong word but indoctrinate them with this ideology it's not they, just about accepting uh who they these never people are. define it's an ideology. ideology ever they, they keep saying that phrase they never they won't define it it's the trans ideology is just the two, the 2020s edition of the gay agenda it's undefined right. and it's meant to scare you. It's wokeism, right? It's like, well, what is yeah. that? Well, we know it when we see it. It's like, all right. ...that comes along with it. Well, so, you but know yeah, there's, there's so much that we could talk about and mm -hmm. say, and I'm going to leave that link in the description for everybody mm -hmm. to check out. Um, I actually haven't watched it yet, and I just heard about it because of Frank. So all right, I think she's pretty much this, wrapped up here. Let me skip ahead. exceedingly bothered by child trafficking. Uh, mm -hmm. I have two girls myself, and there's there's a reality there that I have to see, you know, to, to know how to protect them and protect my family, you know? So, but yeah, I'll leave that in the description. Check it out guys. And, uh, Frank's book, I will also leave a description. Uh, okay. We can call this one a day. There's like two minutes left and I think we got what we need to hear. Uh, friends, let me just say it's two and a half hours. We just watched the Lord of the Rings movie and the worst, <laughs> like, like, like the worst version of one, right? So thank you first off, Billy, for hanging out with me for two and a half hours. I didn't know we were going to go this long, but, oh but this happened when me and my friend Riley did a response to Ali Stuckey on one of her podcasts. It was a two-part podcast response that was three hours total because there's so much to unpack because there are so many claims made with so little data, right? Like if you notice, Frank did not even cite the Swedish study. He just said, okay, this is the stat. This is the stat. They didn't, there's so many things that were undefined. And when you do that, you can just go. So I want to take time with you, Billy, to really go through it, you know, detailed. And I'm not very detailed. Okay. This is, this was a struggle for me to get through two and a half hours, but I, I want to have this on the internet. I'm going to post it as a podcast, I think as well, because people need to hear yeah. Not only just someone who is trans, which obviously you are, but also someone who is academic and understands the research and can speak to these things to give counterpoints. Now, if Frank and Melissa want to argue these points, they can, but they have to provide data. We need actual studies. We need sources. Okay, everything that we shared has a link with the source that you can look into. We're not yeah. trying to be disingenuous. We're not trying to lie. We're trying to be truthful, which I think put in the best way, I would say maybe Frank and Melissa were a little sloppy in their presentation. Yeah, I was going to say, if they do another video, would they please at least do us the favor of putting links to all of their sources in the video, please? Make yeah. my life easier next time we have to do this. Awesome. Well, listen, I'm not going to belabor the point. Billy, again, thank you so much for making time. Friends, thanks for watching. If you like this video, you can share it. You can subscribe to our channel um, or you can shoot me a message and tell me what you think. I'm going to sign off. I'm going to die. Uh, and Billy, we'll talk more later on. Absolutely. Take care. All right. See you.